Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. you want to hear about the St. Louis Blues when we get on the show on Monday? Because I want to hear that they're shut, they've got some interest in one of their defensemen. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's, what I want that's to hear. a good one. That's a really good one. Our teams are interested in their yeah. defensemen. That it, would be nice. It, it may not even say that the Blues are doing this. It will say so-and-so has interest in Tory Krug. I, so-and-so has interest in Nick Letty. I, I can almost, clarify that a little bit, though. A left-handed defenseman. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> yeah sorry. Yes. That is what it sounded like as we left the air on Friday. It is now Monday morning, and T-Bone was 100% correct in what we would hear over the weekend. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Plenty to get into today. We will discuss the Cardinals and what happened to them over in London. I'm going to be totally honest with you guys up front, though. Don't feel like we learned a whole lot about them over in London, but we'll get to that a little bit later on. The team that we did learn a lot about, Alex is the St. Louis Blues, and more specifically, how Doug Armstrong views the St. Louis Blues in 2023. Want to hear from you guys. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. If you were under a rock over the weekend, here is officially where we stand today. The Blues and the Philadelphia Flyers were trying to get a deal done over the weekend that included some combination of forward Kevin Hayes, defenseman Travis Sanheim and then coming from the Blues to the Flyers would be Tory Krug and some first round pick. It sounds like it was likely the later of the two, but we're not totally sure exactly on what the compensation would be. The Flyers are going to retain salary for Kevin Hayes. Sanheim has a new eight-year deal that's going to kick in this year at a little more than $6 million per year. Krug going back the other way makes that salary possible for the Blues. And that probably would have been your team going into 2023. You add your middle six forward. You add a top pairing defenseman. All right. Love it. And then Sunday happened and all hell broke loose. And here's Elliot Friedman on where things stand now. Kevin Hayes, I think, is going to get traded to St. Louis. However this goes, uh, Hayes, I believe, is going to be a blue. The question is, what's going with him and around him? And Travis Sanheim, you know, Philly tried to keep his name pretty quiet. And for a while they did. But his name got out there. He has a clause protection that clicks in July 1st. I think there were some teams that kind of kicked tires on him. But then I think St. Louis got really interested. And one of the things I think that St. Louis liked was the idea of pairing him with Colton Pareko. That he would be a, a good partner for him. So you just learned everything you needed to know about Doug's blueprint for this offseason from this weekend. We all were mesmerized, myself included. I put a damn Ferrari 05 around it. The 24 to 29 year old forward that we thought, oh, he's going to go for a young forward. Travis Konechny fills up top. No, that's not what Doug's looking for. Sure, he wants a forward to fill in, whether it's a centerman, which would have been Kevin Hayes, or if it was Scott Lawton, 
his focus is on defense, which makes sense. I mean, it's the most obvious captain, obvious commercial you can ask for. What's the big issue for the Blues this past season? Well, they couldn't stop pucks going into their net. Wasn't goaltending. Let's fix the defenseman. And what did we learn about defensemen in this year's postseason? You got to have some length. Oh, let's look at Travis Sanheim. Oh, 6'3", a buck 85. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. By the way, some, somebody smart brought up Travis Sanheim's. Okay, and by the way, I want to give full kudos to Alex Ferrario on this. Alex has been talking about Travis Sanheim for like 18 months. Yeah, he and Provorov are the two guys. But specifically, you like yeah. Sanheim. You you said Provorov because you saw, thought he would be the one that was more likely to be traded because the has been traded. Sanheim is the one where you looked at it. You're like, hey, I don't know that you can get him out of there. But if things go south, he's the one that makes the most sense. He's a perfect fit yeah. for Colton Pareko. You and Doug Armstrong, man, seeing eye to eye, you should be his assistant. I, I don't know if that, that's good or a bad thing for me for how it's gone for Armory over these past couple of years, but that's the part that we missed with this blueprint. His defenseman range. He talked about 25 to 31 years old defenseman who has term that carries them through the length of that contract and age frame. Guys, that's Travis Sanheim. He's 27 years old. He's making 6.25 mil for the next eight years. Now he's got another no trade clause and the Blues have had plenty of those. But this was where it was all at for Doug Armstrong. And now it seems that it's broken, at least from everything I've heard and a couple of people I've talked to. It sounds like this intrigue is still there from Philly's side of trading Sanheim to St. Louis. The problem, though, is now you don't know where you're going to go with the other defenseman that's going if Tory Krug's not going to approve this. But I'm no longer looking at this Blues offseason and saying, oh, well, they got to go find that young forward, the Lafreniere or the Kako from New York. No, it's finding defensemen. If Sandheim's not it, they might go a different route in finding a defenseman, but that's the area they have to fix, and Doug's looking heavily at that. This deal tells you where the priority lies because yeah. the forward that they would be adding in such a deal, Kevin Hayes, he's going to be 31 years old. He's a guy that's been a consistent like 15 to 20 goal type of player. He's solid. Like If you were looking for a forward version, bigger plays a little differently, but a forward version of Brandon Saad, it's Kevin Hayes. He's a he's really solid in every possible way. Defensively, I wouldn't say he's great. No. Some of the numbers that you look at below average, I would say, is the best way to describe but him. He's but he's a centerman. He's big. He wins faceoffs and exactly. he goes to the front of the net. And that's what the Blues are looking for. And so he is a cap dump. That's that's what this would be for Philly. They're saying, hey, he makes $7.2 million. We'll eat 50% of that deal. He's going to cost you guys 3.5. You think about what you could get for $3.5 million, Alex, on the open market. It's not a whole lot. You're not getting a very good player if you were going to free agency and offering that kind of money to somebody. So it makes a lot of sense in my mind to add somebody like this. But that's the throw-in. That's the, ah, we'll go ahead and do this to check that box on the list of things that we need to do this offseason at a middle six center. Sanheim is the priority here. Adding a legit top pairing defenseman, that is what the Blues are clearly trying to target this offseason. So whether it ends up being Sanheim or Noah Hannafin, who's reportedly available from Calgary right now, I don't know who else would be added into that mix. It's something we'll certainly explore over the next couple of days as we get into the NHL draft when it's essentially a hard deadline for the Blues. But they have the assets to make this kind of a deal possible. And this, Alex, is why we talk so much about, hey, don't pay attention to the money. The money is important, but mm -hmm. Doug Armstrong, it is his job to get it figured out. And they will. In this deal, they would be taking on $10 million in salary. There is no way that that makes sense for the Blues 
unless they're able to move money out. And that's where the Tory Krug portion of this comes in. And it is his right yeah. to say no. He can do this. Doug Armstrong said, we want you here in St. Louis, but to get you here, we are willing to give you a no trade clause. And Tory Krug said, great. I'm going to take that no trade clause and I'm going to exercise it right now. He doesn't want to move. And that's his right to do. But it does make things a little more difficult to make this deal done. And that is where you have to think about, okay, what, what else could the Blues do to get something like this done? Yeah. Nick Letty also has a no trade clause, but he's making $4 million a year. Maybe you could try to include him in a deal where, hey, Philly, we can make this work money-wise if we include Nick Letty going your direction. Would that be something that Philly's interested in? Would it be something that the Blues are interested in? We don't know. What about Marco Scandella? This makes things a little bit more difficult long term. But for right now, the Blues could get this thing done if they were sending out Marco Scandella as well money wise. They're going to have to get creative now if Tory Krug is unwilling to allow this trade to go through. Yeah, and, and that's going to be the intriguing part because what's your pivot if you're Doug Armstrong? If Tory Krug is the one that you wanted to trade and the incredible reporting from Jeremy Rutherford over the weekend where Colton Pareko wasn't asked to move his no trade, Justin Falk wasn't, and nor was Nick Letty, that only leaves one player because they mentioned also that Marco Scandella had Philly on his, no tra- or his trade list. So do they pivot to another defenseman and say, hey, we can make this work this way? to get the Travis Sanheim deal done. But there is a check mark to get to with this. There's an end point for the Blues. If you don't get this done by Saturday, then the no trade clause kicks in for Travis Sanheim and he can nix any trade to St. Louis if they want it done. So in my opinion, you've got now until really, I believe it's that first day of the draft. I was about to say, and the first round pick yeah. is what, what Philly wants. Yeah. So in, if this doesn't get done by Wednesday, I think Philly is going to be talking to other Sanheim's teams. Sanheim's going to go elsewhere to get a first round pick. So it that's sounds why like Winnipeg is interested in this. In Toronto also. Toronto is very interested in Sanheim because they've also looked into to Noah Hannafin. So there's going to be, I would imagine, more rumors that come out between today and tomorrow because all the GMs are in Nashville. They're meeting. This is when they start hashing things out. But from everything I've heard, it says that this deal is dead in terms of one player not wanting to move his no trade clause, but not dead in the sense of both teams trying to figure it out. But big picture with this. It's very evident Doug Armstrong's not looking at this as like a two or three year ordeal. He's not going after a 25 year old project that's going to continue to grow with your team. He's going after a 31 year old forward to play with your roster now and a 27 year old defenseman. Army looks at this team and says the Western Conference is not great. The Central Division specifically is a couple of teams going to be blowing it up. We're going to be aggressive and compete with this roster. And that's changed my opinion after the over the weekend rumors. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. The mic drop feature is also on the 101 ESPN app. Want to hear from you guys throughout the day today. How do you feel about the fact that Tory Krug is exercising his no trade clause in this scenario? We'll give you our thoughts on that. And does this mean that it is officially over for Krug here in St. Louis? Even if this isn't the deal that gets him out, is he done in his time here in St. Louis? We'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. T 
Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. So if you missed it, there was a big trade that was speculated all weekend long. I was waiting for the news to drop. Ah, bl- the Blues made this big deal with Philly. At first, it was like, this is a monster deal. There might be 10 different picks and players involved. I was putting together my daughter's playground set. And I stopped because I was waiting for this trade. That wasn't why you stopped. But no, it's true. Good, good excuse. Yeah. I broke a couple of pieces, and that's why I was like, I should stop before I. Kill and then something. by the end of the week, and it was like, yeah, Kevin Hayes might be a blue and a salary dump. <laughs> okay, uh, cool. Uh, that's a bummer. Dang. So. That is where things stand today. We don't know exactly what the future is going to be. We think Kevin Hayes is going to be a blue. That feels likely. But Travis Sanheim, not sure. Tory Krug's future here in St. Louis, certainly uncertain right now. Here's Elliot Friedman's ex- explanation from the 32 Thoughts podcast earlier this morning on why Tory Krug declined a deal to Philly. They had a child recently. I think they have three kids. I'm not sure he wants to move them around very much. And the other thing is, if he is traded to Philly and stays there, you keep your claws, it travels with you. Mm -hmm. But how do you know that you aren't going to be asked to move it again in the future? And I don't think with a young family, he wants to move around very much. I think the other thing too is, He played on a team like Boston. He went to St. Louis. They were hoping to win. I don't know if he wants to go to a team that's in a rebuild. This is probably the last contract he's ever going to sign. So I think that's a question, too. Now, I believe one of the things that was brought up to him was, you know, St. Louis, do you really think you're going to win there? Now, that's not going to make people in St. Louis very happy. I'm under the impression that nothing's been presented to him that's going to make him change his mind. So it sounds like Tory Krug wants to remain in St. Louis. Alex, this is one of those weird moments where, like, that should endear him to the Blues fan base. Oh, no. He just wants to be <laughs> no, here. No, 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 no. But oh, it's loves the it here. Great. opposite <laughs> that is Louis. true. Because everybody's like, oh, shiny object, Travis Sanheim. I want that. Yeah. This is the polar opposite of Nolan Arenado opting into a contract. <laughs> oh, he loves St. Louis. People actually wanted him to hate it here. And unfortunately, he doesn't. He really wants to be a part of what the Blues are trying to build. And honestly, that is respectable. And he earned the right to have a no trade clause. Alex, I've been hearing a lot about how Doug Armstrong's given out way too many of these no trade clauses. And that's what came back to bite him this weekend. There's some truth to that. I don't think this specific one, though, is the one that we should be pointing to. Tory Krug legitimately earned a no trade clause for all of the faults of him as a player. This is a guy that when he signed here in St. Louis, the only other player that was definitively better than Krug on the free agent market was Alex Petrangelo. And he got a no move clause. So Tory Krug in that offseason, it was very clear. Not only should you give Tory Krug a no trade clause, he's not pr- signing anywhere unless he gets a no trade clause. If you want to point to the ones that don't make any sense on the roster, man, there are some of them. Boy, we've got three of them for you. But you look at Brandon Saad. Did you need to give Brandon Saad a no trade clause? Probably not. Did it help you get the AAV down a little bit? Maybe, but I think he was probably going to sign for the deal that he got regardless. On Marco Scandella, did you need to give him a modified no-trade clause? so good, though, that first year. Probably not. You jumped the gun to be able to get that deal done. You gave him probably too many years, probably a little bit too much money, and I don't know that you needed to give him the modified no-trade. Nicoletti is the one that I would really point to, though. This deal should be getting done. We shouldn't even be talking about it because it should be obvious that Nicoletti, the guy that should not have a no-trade clause, is going to be sent to Philadelphia, and in return, the Blues are going to get Travis Sanheim. 
That should be what is taking place. Unfortunately, the Blues fell in love based on a month of a really great relationship with Nick Letty. And they decided we need to give this guy four years at $4 million per, which is probably a little more than what he should have got. And we need to bring him back with a no trade clause. (laughs) Those are the ones that I would point to. Tori Krug, I I don't feel this way about. I know the morning show was talking about this today, and they they said the opposite. I I disagree. I think Tori Krug was worthy of the no trade clause. It sucks that it ended up coming back to bite him here, but this is what happens sometimes when you give these out. You know, our good buddy Donnie Fandango over at the point, he asked me, I think it was last week when we were talking on the air about Tori Krug, and he said, you know, it's it's like Tori's Krug contract considered good. And I said, if you look at what he signed and the player he was, back-to-back 50-plus point seasons, he was the number one defenseman power power, power play producer in the NHL for the last five years when he signed in St. Louis. You got that for $6.5 million. That's a really good deal. The problem is injuries have plagued Torrey Krug in St. Louis, and he's had one season where he got close to 50 points. But other than that, yeah, it's been a disappointment. But Tory Krug absolutely deserved that no-trade clause because that's what's being handed out right now. I don't even know what his name is. This is how crazy it is. But a player just signed in Edmonton over the weekend and got a no-trade clause. Not even sure what his name is. Got a no-trade clause. It's being handed out around the NHL because you want to get the AEV down. With no-trade clauses, Tory Krug's probably signing for $7, $8 million. So, yeah, it was a good deal by him. And I have no issue with Tory Krug enacting his no-trade clause. The, the guy just, he and his wife had a, a new baby a couple of months ago. I think it was in season. He's got two young kids, and he wants to be somewhere permanent without moving his kids around. And the problem with going to Philly is if you're Tory Krug, you view this as, well, I'm going to get traded, and then Philly's going to be awful for this season, and then I'm going to get flipped at the deadline, and then I'm going to go somewhere else and have to keep doing this with my kids, and you don't want to do that. So I understand where he's coming from. This is the human side of the game that we all forget when it gets to sports. But here's my pushback with that, because I looked this up. If you're Tory Krug, and I'm saying I'm enacting my no-trade clause because I don't want to move around multiple places, yeah. your no-trade clause becomes a modified no-trade clause in two years. And if the Blues are already viewing you as, we need to trade you, then in two of the years, they're going to do it. Now, that's two years from now, and maybe family's a little bit easier to move around. maybe the Blues are good. I I think he's looking at it and saying, if Doug Armstrong is trying to make this move now, he wants to be good, and I can compete here. If I go to Philly, they are at the beginning of what is very likely to be an extended rebuild that will last the entire tenure that I am there. I I just, I really wonder if your Tory Krug does this sour... Does this sour things a little bit now yes. that you know your name has come out? And this is why I just believe as, it's as, impossible not to sour things. As much as we've heard and people I've talked to, he does not not only want to go to Philly, but he just doesn't want to be traded right now. That changes now that you know that you're in the trade conversations. A team literally had a trade in front of them to move you elsewhere. Now you start second guessing it and other players on other teams start calling you and saying, hey, we really want you here. Okay, that team wants me. This team doesn't want me. So as much as this looks like, and again, I respect Tory Krug for turning this down because that's his decision. He worked his ass off to get that. But I also wonder if that changes now that he knows what's in place of him and the team that's calling that might be bad for a couple of years, they could move him again, but at least he's going to go somewhere that people want him. That's that's at least the gauge I have on it now. Yeah, I 
I wonder if he's going to end up ultimately, maybe not accepting it to Philly, but really opening up things in terms of, okay, I'll go here, 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 and here, and give up more of a list to the St. Louis Blues and the Philadelphia Flyers. Because my guess is what would happen is he would technically go through Philadelphia and then go somewhere else, and Philly would eat 50% or somewhat like that in terms of his contract. But, yeah, I I don't have an issue with Krug turning down the trade with the no-trade clause because, like you said, he earned that. But I I just don't see how he's going to be a St. Louis Blue when we get to opening night because of the relationship. Because the St. Louis Blues basically said, yeah, we think we, we really don't want you here and we've got something that we think is better than you. And it's hard to go back from that if you're Tory yeah. Krug. I, I think he will probably be dealt. I don't know if it's going to be to the Flyers because I can totally see where he would not want to go there. I think it's going to be to somebody that he thinks is contending, and I think that's when he'll waive the no-trade and, clause. And to your point, BK, about you know if Nick Letty didn't have that no-trade clause, this probably would have already got done, and I agree with you. I, I, I think if Philly would have been offered Nick Letty, probably would have been a completely different conversation and the trade Agreed. would have been done on Saturday. That's the surprising part to me, that you go right to Tory Krug and try and get him to move his no-trade clause, but you didn't ask any of the other ones. And I don't believe, we'll get into this later, that Pareko was going to be asked because they're building around him. Falk's not going to be asked. You're building around him. I'm surprised that Letty wasn't asked about it because if one guy says no, how are you not going to the next one and saying, all right, well, let's see if we can get this one done. Unless the Blues really love Nick Letty and see him in their future, but if it's me... Tory Krug would be the guy that I'd find a way to keep on my roster and move guys elsewhere because there's a role for Tory Krug. Yeah, I I understand why he's doing this. I really do. Like if you have Alex, you got a family at home. I'm about to start my own family here within the next couple of weeks uh, with baby boy on the way. It changes things for you. Your priorities become a little different. Maybe Tory Krug just thinks he's got a great place for his kids to go to school. And he's just looking at it as like, hey, man, for the next four years, my contract states that I'm going to be here. And I know Elliot Friedman said this, and it's probably true. He's 32 years old right now. He very well may retire at the end of this contract and say, I'm never moving. I live here. I've got my house here. I've started my family here. And we don't plan to go anywhere else. We really like the schools that our kids are in. We like the babysitter that we have that takes care of our kids whenever we're away. Like... It makes sense for me and my family. And if that is the way that he feels, hey, man, God bless him. Like, more power to him. He earned the right to say no to this deal, and it's Doug Armstrong's job to work around that. If Army finds out at some point, whether it's later today or in the next 48 hours, that this is just not going to happen and Krug wants to stay here and he has decided I'm going to be a long-term blue, then he's got to go find another opportunity. Maybe that's Hannafin. Maybe that's still Sanheim, and you got to offer something different. You've got contracts on the books right now if you're the Blues to where you can still make this work. The Letty deal and the Scandella deal should both be in play, whether it's to Philly or to somewhere else. You can find a third team if you need to in these types of situations where, hey, maybe Nick Letty doesn't want to go to Philadelphia. Maybe he'd prefer to go to the New York Islanders again. Well, call New York. See what's going on there. Would you guys be willing to take on this contract if we included an asset for you? It's something that Doug Armstrong typically doesn't do. But, hey, man, if you're trying to get competitive quick, these are the kinds of things you got to do. You got to get uncomfortable. And I respect the hell out of Doug Armstrong for being willing to get a little creative here. He always says it's business, and I don't have the personal side involved with it. And now it's time for him to do it again. You tried. You did everything we asked you to on Friday. 
Now it's time to try it again. Keep going. Figure out what the next opportunity you, is that's available. You've to you. already got the blueprints in place. You know the players that are coming back, and it does. If you get Sanheim and Hayes, in my opinion, you're one of the top four teams in the top three teams in the Central Division going into this season. You got the blueprints. It's just a matter of filling in the salary cap that you have to move the other way. And you've got two guys that make the same amount as the one guy that you were trying to move on from. By the way, you asked about Tory Crew. You were talking about it. Is this a good deal? Would, would people want to take this on? I just did some of the math on it. He, The biggest issue for him in St. Louis has just been he hasn't been healthy. Yeah. Right. But if you set that aside for a second, which is a hard thing to do, I understand. But you just look at the numbers that he's produced here in St. Louis. Over an 81-game pace, so the full season, right? What would he have done? He has averaged roughly 8 to 10 goals and 50 points per year. If you look at what he did while he was in Boston, it's basically that. He's been the same player points production-wise with the Blues that he was with Boston. The difference has been twofold. One, he hasn't been super healthy, and that's a huge issue. And two, defensively, I think he's been a little bit more of a liability here than he was in Boston. But more importantly, he doesn't have the same guys next to him in St. Louis that he had in Boston I think even if he wanted to stay here, Alex, there's a role for Tory Krug on the St. Louis Blues in 23. The third pairing defenseman, that quarterback's your power play unit. That's probably what he's going to be if he goes elsewhere. And if these teams outside of St. Louis wants to add a player like that, guess what they're going to have to pay? Exactly what Tory Krug's making yeah. right now. It's not a bad contract anymore. It's one that the Blues would like to get rid of because they've got Scott Perunovich, so they could pay $750,000 for the same, the same kind of role. But for other teams that really value this type of player, six and a half mil, four years, man, that's not so bad for yeah. a guy that's a proven veteran. And I think that's part of why Philly would have liked to have gotten this deal. Can I, can I say one more quick thing? And, and I want to research this. Maybe we get into this again on questions and answers. But that's this Tony D'Angelo thing with Philadelphia is tied into Nick Letty somewhat. So Philly can't trade Tony D'Angelo until the exact date when he signed with like two Philadelphia. Because you can't trade somebody that you signed within less than a year. Yep. You signed Nick Letty on July 13th last year. So I don't know if you can trade Nick Letty. It's the same team. It's going back yeah, to the same team, though. So when was. you're a free agent, okay, so Correct. it's from when he was traded to St. Louis. Okay. So uh, for, and I'm not even sure how this works at the trade deadline um, for Letty, for example. I think it's because he ended up going elsewhere and then getting traded to his old team. Yeah, that's, that's what where the, the D'Angelo is. thing is a hold up. Okay. If that, D'Angelo was going to St. Louis, for example, this same thing would not be would, in place. Okay, because yeah. I read LeBron's piece and I'm like, well, if that's the case, then you can't move Nick Lake. Yep. But you're right, because of the trade. Okay, cool. Just wanted to double check. I think with that. that would be the hold up yeah. there potentially. Gotcha. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll get to questions and answers. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. But next, the Cardinals played two games over the weekend. I think we learned very little about them, and it actually makes me feel worse about them as a team in the long term. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
Yeah, well, I think it's a few things, obviously. Uh, it's not one direct thing. I think we need, to start, we need our starting pitching to pitch better. We need to play better defense, and we need to be better with runners in scoring position. Um, I know for me, myself, I need to be way better with runners in scoring position. So um, I think like that, those things, um, it seems like a lot, and uh, but it really is, you know, it's, it's those things we have to do a better job, and it's the little things of playing the game right, moving guys over and all those things. If we get better at that, I think we can find ourselves back into it. That was Nolan Arnato on MLB Network on the very small things that need to get better himself. for the St. Louis Blues. You could feel him in that interview saying it's not, it, doesn't, it, it sounds like a lot, it's not, it is kind yeah, it of is. a lot, but we've got to get better in those specific areas. Alex, we asked on Friday, hey, what do you want to see from the Cardinals over the weekend? When when they leave London, what would make you feel better? And I said, listen, because of the weird way that these games typically go, the travel that is existing in this. And listen, I am the first one that will say, stop talking about the travel. It's ridiculous. This is a case where I do think the travel is at least a piece of the conversation. Get the hell out of here. I'm not giving them that out, though. They, they looked bad over the weekend. I know they won yesterday. I mean, that was just bad baseball. We saw two bad baseball team baseball games by the Cardinals and, frankly, also by the Cubs. They pitched really well, the Cubs did, on Saturday. The Cardinals never really pitched particularly well. They played poor defense once again. There was some weird base running again yesterday. I don't know what Jordan Walker's doing trying to steal in those situations, but whatever, neither here nor there. You leave the weekend, and I said going in, Split, I'll be fine on Monday. Alex, they split, I don't feel fine on Monday. It's because you should have went with what I said. You got to win them both. This team, there, there's just, there's nothing that you can latch on to to say, ah, that's why I feel good. Like Even the starting pitching, which had really started to stabilize there for a little while, was terrible this weekend. Adam Wainwright got his teeth kicked in on Saturday. That was the worst start that we've seen from him in a long time. Yesterday, I don't know what this team's going to do with Matthew Liberator. He looked terrible again. I don't know that he can be in your rotation. I think he might be a bullpen guy. They mentioned this on the broadcast yesterday, Alex. The slugging percentage against him the first 25 pitches going into yesterday, 500, which, by the way, is not good. And then after pitch 25, the slugging percentage against him is 1,000 so far in the big leagues this year. That is a really bad OPS against. I'm just talking about the slugging percentage. So you can't point to the starting pitching. The bullpen was solid for the most part over the weekend. And I thought what you got out of Jake Woodford was amazing. That guy was your MVP over the weekend. The hitting has been super inconsistent to your point, And the defense is an atrocity. So See, it's, only, it's not I, I that much. No, really what to latch on to here. And I keep watching these games thinking, ah, it's going to get better. And it just doesn't. It doesn't get any better. I mean, you asked the question, what did we learn from the team over the weekend? The biggest thing that I learned is now you can't rely on three of your starting pitchers. Jack Flaherty, Matthew Libertor, and Adam Wainwright. And if you want to toss in Steven Matz, go for it. You can't trust any of these guys. And the other point that I learned, stop me if you've heard this before, is this offense is inconsistent. I mean, I went into that saying the bigger thing I'm going to be watching is what does your offense look like in these two games where the ball is expected to fly? Ian Happ, meanwhile, is hitting three home runs in one game. You are getting two hits in a game. Now you could use, oh, well, they went up against Justin Steele, and he's a great pitcher. Don't care. Don't care. Marcus Stroman was a great pitcher, and what did they do to him? Exactly. You hit one guy. Like Your offense is too inconsistent for me to sit there and be like, yeah, and if you want to use the travel, go for it. But for me... 
it's exactly what we learned every single time. You feel like you've got the momentum to build, right? You you stay in at neck and neck with the New York Mets and you win that series. And then you're from behind and you beat the Washington Nationals and you win that series. And you're thinking, we're starting to roll, boys. And then you lay a dud. And you don't lay just a dud and lose. You get two hit and shut out and lose. Although you weren't shut out. You still got the run. You still perform poorly. That's the problem with this Cardinals team, and that's what I've learned. You can't trust anybody on your pitching staff with the exception of Michaelis and Montgomery and your offense. You don't know what you're going to get every single game. Yeah, I, I don't even know if I learned anything. It just reaffirmed what I had already learned, basically, is what the weekend did. And look, they did what I said they needed to do, which was split, but they did it in such ugly fashion, it's hard to call it a win. I I, I knew the pitching was bad. I knew Adam Wainwright has has clearly gotten close to the end of the road, if not there already. Matthew Libertor, not a starting pitcher. We already knew that. And when you look at the offense, too inconsistent, and defensively, for whatever reason, it's been an atrocity this year. We all knew that going into London. It just got reaffirmed for you in London, and it got reaffirmed on the national stage, too. And that and that's the part that's frustrating about it. Of They went out there, and in Game 1 of all this excitement around London, they just got destroyed in Game 1. Game looked two, non-competitive. Yeah, Game 2 didn't even look competitive in the first inning. Bad defense. Now, yes, they did come back to win that game, but it wasn't a great showcase in London. I feel bad for London that they had to watch these two teams play over the weekend because it was awful baseball over the weekend. So... I didn't learn anything. I just reaffirmed what I already knew about the St. Louis Cardinals. I was assuming that at some point they would give us a reason to kind of buy back in. Like even the Blues this year, Alex. I remember doing the show with you. We were out at Centene and we were talking about it like, hey, man, if if over the next five games they kind of get things going, would you? Would you buy back in? And literally six hours later, Ryan O'Reilly was gone. <laughs> Tuck Armstrong was like, no, we're not doing you shall this not again. Buy he was it. listening to us and he said, no, damn it, we're not. And so as I watch these games with the Cardinals, I'm like, ah, there, there's going to be a point in time. And it, it kind of happened with that Washington and New York trip where it's like, ah, maybe this is the start of it. And so I, I fooled myself into believing, man, if they go overseas and they, they have a pretty good weekend, Maybe this is the time where you start to talk yourself back in and then they come back, you play against Houston, which is not a very good Houston team right now. They're super beat up, especially in their rotation. Uh, You go up against the Yankees, also super beat up. They don't have Aaron Judge in the lineup right now. He's going to be out for a while. They they are kind of a shell of themselves. Uh, Miami can't really hit other than a rise. And then Chicago is basically your mirror image of yourself. You can tell yourself a story where, all right, in this 14 game stretch to finish out the first half of the season, Maybe there's something there. I'm having a hard time even convincing myself. I'm like the most optimistic person this year on the Cardinals. And even I am having a hard time telling myself that. There was one time this season that I internally said, maybe there's something there. And it was the two week stretch where you beat Boston and Milwaukee and Chicago and LA. And after that Dodgers series, I said, maybe there's something there because you don't do this stretch and not build off of it. And then what did you do against Cincinnati Reds? You split that series, and then you lost, and then you lost, and then you lost, and then you lost. That, that's the problem. Like, any time that you start to believe that there is something there, well, then you hit the next starting pitcher, or then you hit the next bullpen the implosion. They, or, just don't, they don't have the yeah. pitching or the defense to be able to when create they do get any the sort pitching, of a consistent run. When they do get the pitching, then you get errors in the infield, yep. and you're talking about four runs being scored. And maybe the offense can pull you back into it, but then you got to worry about your bullpen imploding. By the way, somebody on the text line said the pitching was fine yesterday. It was just one earned run. No, the pitching was not fine yesterday. Matthew Libertor was bad. And they got him out of there as early as they did for a reason. Some would say he was unlucky. 
and others would say he was just bad. So I guess you could decide which which side of things you prefer to go with there. The, go like, the expected numbers, if we want to go that route, were terrible for Matthew Liberatore yesterday. They, they were absolutely <laughs> oh, terrible. Now he brings in expected numbers. He has now pitched in 16 games in the big leagues for the Cardinals over the last two seasons. He has a 5.8 ERA in those games. And in 62 innings, he has 49 strikeouts. I'm not telling you there's no hope for Matthew Libertor. The guy is 23 years old. He is a pitching prospect. There is still belief that he can get this thing turned around. But right now, his fastball is not good enough, and the curveball does not land consistent enough to be even close to a mid-tier starting pitcher at the big league level. I think right now, at best, he's a bullpen arm. And long-term, the hope is that he can be a back-end-of-the-rotation starter. I remember earlier this year, we talked to Kyle Reese, and he asked us the question, would you sign up for him to be Steven Matz? And people in our audience laughed, said, that's ridiculous. That would be so underwhelming. I would hit the button so remarkably quickly right now. Isn't he already Steven Matz? <laughs> He's worse than Steven Matz. Wow. He's worse than this version of Steven Matz. Well, yeah, this bullpen version of Steven Matz. Any version. The, Steven Matz this year I thought you has told been me, a better starter than Matthew Libertor this well, year. That's bad because when we did it when Steven Matz was a starter, he was legitimately one of the worst starting pitchers in Major League Baseball. Yeah. Correct. Uh, I'd still Agreed. say bad luck for Libertor. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Questions and answers is coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe it's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Six four six is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers. Let's start with this one from the three one four guys. I'm not a big numbers guy. I'm more of a see with my own eyes type of guy. But if you took away the name from the front and the back of the jerseys and went strictly off the players and team stats, does the Cardinals record match what the team is in your mind? Yeah, the performance is starting to match what the uh, what the record is now. I thought earlier in the season they were getting a little unlucky. One-run games, if you look at the numbers nerds and what they'll tell you, they tend to even out over time. Uh, but the Cardinals deserve the fact that they're bad in one-run games because they're bad defensively. They don't close down games at the back end of their pin, and their pitching's no good. So it's really hard to win those games because you always have to outslog your problems. So, yeah, they're 34 or 32 and 45. That's who they are. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that. I've We've seen everything. And it backs up this Cardinals team this season. Nothing about the advanced numbers contradicts what we're seeing with our eyes. It's the exact same team. Yeah, I, I think the record is what what you would see if you were just looking at the numbers. I mean, they're like middle on everything in terms of statistics. And defensively, they're down from where they were. And when you've got to pitch to contact staff, which the numbers would show you, probably doesn't mean it's going to be going very well for you. I, I And I think, honestly, when you look at like even the players, if you did this, where you just looked and said, oh, here's what the right fielder's numbers are without a name on the back of the jersey, I think most of what the numbers are are what you would expect outside of maybe Contreras. And that would be where you'd look at the catcher and go, wow, I can't believe this guy's hitting just above 200 when I look at all his uh, baseball savant page and it is all red. But otherwise, he's like the only guy that stands out to me that would have that as well. 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service X line from the 636. Alex, if the Blues can't trade up higher than six, do you think they trade up at all? No. I, I 
I just don't view them trading up anymore because Michkov seems like it's a pipe dream in terms of Doug Armstrong wanting to draft him. And there's only two teams that I view would be willing to trade. Philly's not moving their seventh overall pick to move back in the draft. Arizona, as much as I thought they would trade their pick, it sounds like they're competing and a sixth overall pick can help them compete. And then you've got Washington, who I don't believe is going to trade with you. And I completely forgot who's number nine. So I, I don't see any of those teams trading with you. So yeah, I... Either it's you the 10 or I could see him trading back one pick to add more picks if the player's gone that they wanted at number 10. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I don't think they're going to move up because I, I think if they were going to do it, it was going to be like uh, in where San Jose's range was, where there was rumors of San Jose doing it. And I think the only way they're going to do that was if they wanted Mishkov or maybe somebody drops that we're not expecting. But Army, it feels like Army's kind of shot that down in, mo- in the most recent days last week when he held his presser. So I, I don't think they're going to do it. I don't think they're going to move up either. If you look at like Dom from the athletic, he's got a a value chart on what picks would be worth. He says the blues picks, if you kind of tie them all together in terms of what they would be worth at that point, you could get into the top five. I don't think that you're going to be able to do that. Like he says that the blues 10th pick 25 and 29 would be the equivalent of getting up into that like two or three range. Alex, you talked about this with Doug Armstrong. I think that is in a typical year. That is what it is like. Mm-hmm. I think the top five picks this year are worth more than they would normally be worth because of the talent that is available in this specific draft. So I I would be surprised if they end up moving up. I think they pick at 10, and then I don't think they pick yeah. again the rest of the draft. I think we'll, the rest of that night. I think we'll hear of a trade involving 25 and 29 either tuesday or wednesday it could be two different deals could be very very much two different deals but then he'll pick on 10 and then that'll be it for doug armstrong uh from the 618 guys do you hope this trade goes through or are there other players that you would prefer over one of sanheim or hayes or maybe even over both of them Uh, so i i prefer hannafin over sanheim but it's going to cost you more to get hannafin and to get sanheim who i view as a top pairing defenseman not a number one, not an elite defenseman. Understand what I'm saying? He's a top pairing defenseman. I think he and Colton Pareko could make a really good one-two punch. Both play a lot of minutes. Sanheim is good defensively. He's good on the penalty kill. Has a little offense to him. And Kevin Hayes, as much as I originally heard it and said, no bleeping away. I don't need a 31-year-old dude who's locked up for three more years. If I'm not trading a first-round pick for him, if I'm just strictly roster dump i'm giving you three million dollars and you're giving me four million dollars kevin hayes is a perfectly capable top nine four he's going to be somebody who could provide you 40 at best 50 points in a season and kevin hayes could be that on a good team i mean he put up 60 points on a crappy team last year so i'd be okay with both of them i'd love to see different trades for better players but this might be the most ideal trade package this offseason yeah my ideal scenario would be ross colton and noah hannafin like if i could just put together hey blues are getting giving up a bunch of assets and they find the money to make this thing work who do they go out and acquire this offseason ideal world they get noah hannafin from calgary they get ross colton from the tampa bay lightning he becomes your third line center Noah Hannafin is your top pairing defenseman with uh, Colton Pareko, and we move forward with that. Yeah, I, I don't think you would have to make that would be my entire offseason, and I would feel great about it. That would it. be an ideal offseason, in my opinion, because then you lock up Hannafin and you're young. See, that what's what's wild about that, though, is I originally thought Ross Colton would just be like, I want to know because I want him on the third line. I view, if they get Kevin Hayes, Kevin Hayes is your second line center this year. 
Probably. Because Braden Shen gets bounced down to the third line role just because I think they would. Do you think he's better than Braden Shen? No, I think Braden Shen's a better player. I agree. I think Kevin Hayes has. It's going to sound awful to say I love Braden Shen. I think Kevin Hayes has more skill in certain areas. And that's why I think they would utilize him in that second line role. And honestly, it might be interchangeable, but you lose, you use less of Braden Shen. So you don't have the wear and tear on Braden Shen by the end of that season for how physical Keep he plays. A little better. Yeah. yeah. Who's been dealing with a lot of injuries over the last couple of years. And it creates too. depth too. I yeah. mean, that's what you did in 2019 with O'Reilly and Shen and, and Boza. Shen neighbors and Saad actually makes a lot of sense as a line. And then you'd have a Kairou, Thomas, Buchnevich, and then you'd have a Verona Kapanen with a Kevin Hayes. And honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if they put a Kairou with a Kevin Hayes size with speed to see if you get that to work. I like it. I'm in on that. Yeah. I think it makes a lot of sense. I understand why they're interested in Kevin Hayes. I don't think the, I think there's a lot of people that are throwing this out there like, oh, this is a terrible. No, Kevin Hayes at this money is fine. Now, if you give the him, problem is Kevin Hayes at seven million dollars. Well, that. But if you give up a 25th or a 29th overall pick for him, yeah, that's a problem that. because that's a terrible trade, in my opinion. Yeah. Adding Kevin Hayes at that salary is not a bad deal. Adding Kevin Hayes by giving up significant resources or getting him at the previous dollar figure that he was making, those are the problems. And I don't think that Doug Armstrong's going to run into either of those. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, there's a name that we've talked about in the past that is a St. Louis native that I think we should bring up again as a potential St. Louis Cardinal at the deadline. And it's because both of these teams are struggling currently. We'll tell you who that is and why it could potentially make sense next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. So Alex, I didn't learn a whole lot about the team on the field over the weekend. I do feel like we learned a little something off of it, though. John Mosellock talked with the media while they were over in London. Finally, we were able to hear from the big guy. He said that the message that he would give to the fan base is this. This comes from Derek Gould piece over in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Quote, we are not looking to blow up this team but we are looking for ways to improve this team, end quote. He then went on to talk about what their plans are as they get closer to the trade deadline, and this is what Derek Gould wrote about his conversations with John Mosellock. He said the Cardinals do not have an appetite for exploring what a cornerstone trade like a Paul Goldschmidt could draw from the trade market. What does have an appeal for them, though, is seeking out available pitching in the coming months that would help to fill holes in the rotation for not just this year, but also for 2024. Alex, much like our read on the Blues has seemingly kind of been in line with what Doug Armstrong is hoping to accomplish, the same appears to be true for the Cardinals. I think what he's basically saying there is, yeah, it doesn't really make sense for us to go out and get a Lucas Giolito unless they plan to resign him. What makes sense for the Cardinals is what's Shane Bieber up to? Well, what could we get for one of those starters up in uh, Seattle? It's time for us to start our offseason now. Our 2023-24 offseason, instead of going out into the free agency market and just making this big plunge, what could we get if we decided to trade some of our assets at the deadline and kind of got a kickstart on that? I think that's what Mo is trying to suggest there. I think, and T-Bone, you mentioned this before the show, the Cardinals are going to be a buyer and a seller. They could go out there. They could conceivably make their team better for the rest of this season 
while also viewing it as really a way to make their team better for 2024. I think that's how Mo is going to be viewing this thing. And maybe the way that I view this right now, though, is do exactly what you said in terms of upgrade this pitching staff and start it now in terms of getting maybe one of those younger Seattle pitchers, getting a Shane Bieber if that's the route you decide to go. But also, and maybe you get pieces back in in return that does upgrade your team for this season, but it's selling off to get whatever you can that's best in return for Jack Flaherty, Jordan Montgomery. We... The pieces that you're going to trade in terms of Donovan or Edmund or Newt Barr or Carlson, if it's one of those, that's going to get you that pitcher that, that fills in. But the pieces that you know aren't going to be back next season, those are the pieces that I'm selling off for to sure. get what's best in return. If it's prospects that don't impact my team for a couple of years, great. If it's Major League Baseball players that could be there by next year, even better. But I'm acquiring my starting pitcher with term, whether it's Bieber or Seattle pitchers, and then I'm selling everything else else off that's not on my team beyond this season and getting back the best that I can. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly what they're going to do. And I, I wouldn't even rule out the possibility, and it, it just depends on when it occurs, of they sell, say, Jack Flaherty, Jordan Montgomery, and they use some of those assets that they get from those trades to go to wherever they're getting the starting pitcher. Too. Sure. They could be doing that to where they're just kind of shuffling everything around to get this done. But most comments definitely sound like a guy that's going to be buying and selling. It, it reminds me a lot of what, I think it was last year, what Boston did, where they sold off pieces. Now, they brought pieces in. It didn't work, but they didn't really bring anything in in the long haul, which was confusing why they did that. But that's the route that I think the Cardinals are going to go. They're looking for that cost-control guy, probably Shane Bieber or one of the Mariners pitchers, and they'll sell off Jack Flaherty. They'll sell off Montgomery. And I think they'll probably sell off Jordan Hicks would be the other guy that I would throw into this conversation because he may be the guy that ends up getting the most in return because of how electric he's been ever since he uh, had the early season struggles. And bullpen arms are such a commodity at the deadline. But I, I would not be shocked to see if they end up getting some of those pieces in these trades and maybe they use those pieces and they have kind of open conversations with Seattle, for example, and say, hey, we've got something in place with Jordan Hicks. Say he's going to, I don't know, Philadelphia. Who do you like in Philadelphia's farm system? Maybe we'll lure that person into us, and then we'll send him back your way. I I think that is possible for what the St. Louis Cardinals might attempt to do. I also wonder what the type of pitcher is that they're going to be looking for. Are they looking for a guy that's, like, peaking next season? Or are they looking for somebody that is on the cusp of being really, really good right now? I I don't know what the answer to that question is. They could, because those are two very different directions that they could end up going But, Alex, as I was reading over on The Athletic earlier today, it was hard for me not to come up with a potential trade that could make sense for both the Cardinals and the New York Mets. Because both teams are struggling in a significant way right now. So why do you want to go get one of their players? The New York Mets are 15 games behind the Braves in the NL East. If you look at where they're at in the wild card standings right now, they are as far back from the Dodgers in the wild card as the Cardinals are from the Reds in the division. So the Mets are kind of screwed right now. They, I don't see a path for them to be able to make the playoffs this year. I think it's possible Buck Showalter gets fired before Ollie Marmol does, especially after what happened uh, with the Mets yesterday. Max Scherzer has another year left on his contract. It's a player option. It's $43 million. I would assume he's probably going to pick that up given the fact that he is currently 38 years old. He'll be 39 next year. I don't think there's going to be another team that will give him a $43 million contract for 2024 after this season. Man, you'd be surprised. Teams are pretty dumb. Alex, in his last eight starts, he's gone 48 innings. He has a 3.1 ERA. He looks 
more similar to the pitcher that the Mets thought they were getting when they signed him this past offseason. I don't know what their plans are. If they were willing to eat, say, half of that contract, makes $25 million next year instead of 43. That is somebody that I would be interested in for the Cardinals. Oh, that's a prototypical Cardinals move. Yeah. Back end of somebody's career, especially if it's a St. Louis guy. Yeah, that's a Cardinals move. I don't know if the Mets are going to eat 50% of that. I think the way that they would is if you gave up something of significance. Like if you gave up, I don't even know who it would be. Tyler O'Neill, let's say. You said something of significance. I think they could view Tyler O'Neill as a pretty good bounce back candidate. Now, I'm not sure New York is a great fit for Tyler O'Neill. I want to be very clear here. The expectations like are incredibly high there. But just trying to think through like what would make sense for them. If you gave up an, a, a real asset, a tangible asset that can help them, maybe it's a Ryan Helsley, for example, a guy got, that has multiple years of control remaining or a Giovanni Gallego, something like that. I could see the Mets saying we could talk ourselves in to a longer-term build here, and we're getting getting rid of $25 million in our rotation. I don't know if that's something they would be willing to do, but if I'm the Cardinals, I think I at least call to find out kind of what their plans are, whether it's with Scherzer or Verlander. I, I would consider looking at one of those two guys. I mean, I would consider it absolutely because, I mean, that's... That's an ace if you get the best of them, but you're really taking a risk in terms of the age and what they can contribute. Every pitcher that you could sign or trade for will involve some kind of risk. It's different risks, but some kind of risk. If that's what you're talking about in terms of trading to get them, sign me up. I'm in. But when you said something of significance, I thought you were going to say like one of the players that you would have used to get a Shane Bieber or one of these Seattle pitchers, whether it's a Donovan or an Edmund. I'm not doing that. I don't think the Cardinals would give up that. I don't think anybody would give up that much for this version of Max Scherzer. Uh, agreed. With one year of control that, remaining. But that's where I was going to push back because those pieces are actually going to go to to get me something of substance for next season and beyond. But if I could get Max Scherzer for a Tyler O'Neill, or let's say maybe they're interested in Paul DeYoung. I know they traded away their third baseman. Maybe I'll Paul DeYoung could play third or Lindor. Sign me up for that because you're taking a risk and I'm taking a risk. So, yeah, that, in that again, that is a prototypical Cardinals move to get a veteran like that on the back end of his career. I also wonder if they would be interested in like a Jordan Montgomery or a Jack Flaherty. Hey, go ahead and get your offseason started now. It's clearly not working in New York. Would you be interested in and maybe it's both of them? Maybe you trade both Jack and Jordan Montgomery instead of flipping for Scherzer their assets. And no, you just oh. you just get Scherzer. Awesome. Say this is the way that we make the money work for the rest of this season. It's the way that you are able to get rid of the say even if it's thirty million dollars. The Cardinals take on thirty million dollars in on Max Scherzer's money for next year. You don't have to worry about that. You can go out to the market. You guys want Shohei? This is your way to add some of that money back to your payroll, so you're not potentially blocked from signing Shohei Otani next year. I don't think there's a 0% chance of them trading these guys. I think it's at least in the realm of the possible, like very possible that one of Scherzer or Verlander ends up dealt this offseason. And I wouldn't be surprised if they are a massive seller at the deadline. And that could include at least one of those two guys. If I'm the Cardinals, I'm at least involved in those conversations. I, I think I'd have the conversation, but I, I just don't see the Cardinals making the move, though it feels Cardinals-y. I, I think they got to get away from feeling Cardinals-y. I mean, they got to get someone that's younger, in my opinion, I than agree. Max Scherzer. And, and he's only a two-year solution, no matter what the... Well, okay, well, yeah, sorry. <laughs> well, this year... That's right, sorry. I meant two years on contract, but I that that's not the solution I think they need to be looking for. And that's why even like Shane Bieber, like I'm not even sure he's the guy that makes sense for the Cardinals. They've got to try and make a say, swing, okay, though, for younger guys. Guy, though. 
I, I agree, but I think they got to look for someone that is younger and more cost control and be willing to pay more of a pretty penny for it. Not not swapping your garbage for their garbage and taking Max Scherzer's but big Scherzer's contract here. Garbage. I know he's Scherzer's not garbage. Been really but good I mean, over his last. Basically, but he's since not he the same out. guy. He's not the same guy he was, and he's He'd older. Be the again. best starter by a mile on the Cardinals. I, I don't disagree. He wants swing and miss stuff, T Bone. He's got swing and miss stuff. I do, but he's at the back end of his career. I think they've got to get away from the Cardinals. He moved. I said if, this. What if he's I said this two last for you week. Next year. I, I said last week they got to get away from the Cardinals' way of pitching, and yes, Scherzer's stuff plays into that. But he's old; he's older. They've got to find someone that's younger, more cost control. I don't think what Scherzer fits both? for the Cardinals. What if, if you he, can do both, I'm open to the idea. I think they can. I, I think this, uh, why can't you? I, I, don't I don't think understand. they will. I think the Scherzer cost will be higher than what we just said. I, I don't think it's going to be. Oh, we'll take Tyler O'Neill, Jack, and Montgomery, and boom, you can have Max Scherzer. I don't we'll think there's a lot of teams dollars. that are going to be taking on thirty million dollars of Max Scherzer. I think someone will pay a heavy price in terms of prospects to go get him and have the Mets eat more. Maybe. That, that's possible. But if you're the Mets, are the reason why we're doing this is because we want that money on the payroll next year to go get Shohei. Like that, that's, it sounds like their entire goal this offseason is put together the best possible package for Shohei Otani. And the way that you do that is probably by moving off of some of this salary. Regardless... It, whether it's Scherzer, whether it's Bieber, I'm interested in any of these guys that help you out. The Cardinals need serious help at the front end of their rotation. They need to do there what Doug Armstrong is clearly trying to do with this blue line, which is completely overhaul the rotation. Scherzer, I think, could be a part of the solution. I don't think he's the only piece that would have to be added to this solution. I think you could go get one of those Seattle guys and get a Max Scherzer. Like you could maybe even go get like a Shane Bieber and a Scherzer. Whatever the solution is, they need to figure it out. Coming up next, we're going to get the Philly perspective on what happened over the weekend. Is this Philly trade completely dead? And let's be honest, Alex, the hell does Kevin Hayes bring to the Blues lineup if he does end up here in St. Louis? We'll talk to him about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It was a busy weekend here in St. Louis. It was also a busy weekend in Philadelphia as this mega deal uh, started out that way and then kind of crumbled into a, hey, maybe Kevin Hayes ends up in St. Louis on a salary dump type of a trade. That's what we were following all weekend from the Blues perspective. Anthony Sanfilippo was doing the exact same thing, but from the Philly perspective. You could read his work over at Crossing Road. He's also the host of the Snow the Goalie podcast. He joins us now via the 101 ESPN hotline. Anthony, it was certainly an exciting weekend to follow along with all of this news here in St. Louis. We appreciate the time as always as you were doing the same thing from the philly perspective what was your initial reaction when you heard that this quote-unquote mega deal could have potentially gone down yeah my initial reaction was a little bit of a surprise that there was so many components to it um i i had found out pretty early that kevin hayes was going to be part of this and i just assumed it was there was a way that you know they were going to work with the Blues, maybe the Flyers, eat some of that salary and maybe just get something small in return for Kevin Hayes. I was not expecting to hear other names come into play. And as the as Saturday progressed and started talking to some people uh, involved in the uh, in the conversations, more and more names started to crop up. Travis Sanheim obviously was the big name that got um, that had the most. 
sticking uh, stick-to-itiveness to the to the deal. But yeah, you know, we had also heard um, Scott Lawton as a possibility, and then you know Tony D'Angelo's name also came up. But as it turns out, that was with another deal uh, with Carolina. So we hear all these names from the NHL roster that Danny Briere's trying to move away from, and it's like, wow, you're basically undoing this entire roster all in one fell swoop. So it was a little bit of a surprise on our on our end as well. So, Anthony, simple question to you. Is the deal involving Sanheim completely dead, or is there still the ability to get some life and traction with it? Yeah, I, I don't think it's dead at all, to be honest with you. I, I, I think that there is some stuff being done behind the scenes to try and make it work. And, and you know, as you guys have probably talked about today, um, the sticking point here was uh, Tory Krug not being willing uh, to waive his no-trade clause, as is his right. Um, but that may be that it wasn't a 100% absolutely not doing it. It's just kind of that was the initial reaction, and maybe there's a possibility that he changes his mind or that they find another situation for him that he would waive his trade clause to bring a third team into the mix uh, and figuring out a way to kind of make it a little bit more of a complex deal, but flipping uh, Krug to another team. I do still think this is very possible. I'm not saying that it's 100% definitely going to happen, but I do think it's possible. I know Danny Briere is really hell-bent on getting a, another first-round pick somewhere because he would like to really be have some some bullets in the chamber for the draft on Wednesday night. Um, and I think the Blues are probably the best path to that uh, and making that happen. But in order to get Sanheim to the Blues, they have to get Tory Krug's salary out of St. Louis, and I think that that's what – what the real sticking point is here. I know they want to move Sanheim to before, before July one, really before the draft, but on July one, he has a no trade clause of his own that kicks in. So rather than give him that leverage, they'd like to get him out before that can kick in as well. Anthony, as a follow-up on that, you mentioned Tory Krug's deal being necessary to move from the books. Is it your understanding that if that does not happen, if Krug nixes any deal, that is when this officially becomes dead? Or could the Blues potentially look at another defenseman's money from their books? Could they do it that way? Yeah, I, I don't I don't know that the Flyers are as interested in the other defensemen that, that are available. Um, I do know that the other guys who, don't have, uh, who have no trade clauses have not been asked if they would be willing to waive them, um, which is uh, Perico uh, and uh, Letty. Um, so they have not been asked. Uh, from what I understand, um, and I'm not sure that Scandella's contract is big enough to make it happen. That's all assuming that the Flyers would take any of those guys, right? I'm not, so sure. I, I'm not convinced that that's the case. So yeah, I think Tory Krug is a real, the real pivotal point here to determine whether this deal goes through or doesn't go through as as originally constituted. I do still think if Tory Krug says no. Maybe Sanheim gets moved elsewhere, right? but Kevin Hayes is, is still banned up in St. Louis. So, Anthony, let's talk about Kevin Hayes. You've seen a lot of him over the years in Philadelphia. Blues fans a little familiar with him because he played in Winnipeg during that, that cup run that they had in 2019. But when his name pops up, people are like, oh, Kevin Hayes. What type of player is Kevin Hayes, and does he match St. Louis? 
Well, so he's a two hundred foot player. I mean, so he's gonna he's gonna give you uh, give you a lot. And look, he's still gonna give you fifty some points a, a year. Um, he's he's decent on the power play. He's a good puck possession guy because he's a big big bodied center. Um, he's not as good a face off guy as you would think. He's just kind of mediocre uh, in the dot, and he does have those occasional lapses in his defensive zone, but he's not a terrible defensive forward. Um, he kind of clashed, I think, stylistically with John Tortorella a little bit, and maybe that's why it's not working out for him in Philadelphia. But he's very well-liked in the locker room. He's very well-liked around the league by other players. Um, so he would really be a nice culture fit, I think, uh, in St. Louis. But, uh, you know, you, 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 there are some warts that do show up over time with Kevin Hayes, even though he does have a lot of good positives as well. Anthony Sanfilippo is our guest here on 101 ESPN. You can find him on Twitter at Ants and Philly. A-N-T-S-A-N Philly. P-H-I-L-L-Y. Anthony, final question that I've got for you. Travis Sanheim was supposed to be the big target for the Blues in this trade. Why in your mind are is Philadelphia trying to get off of that deal so early? He's got that eight-year contract that kicks in uh, this upcoming season. Why is it that Philly wants to get out of that? I think that Travis Sanheim is a, is a good defenseman, but he's a defenseman who plays better when there's less on the line. So I think that you see in pressure, higher-pressure situations, he tends to be a little bit, a little bit more skittish, a little bit more mistake prone. I think in lower pressure situations, he shines. He is a good puck mover. He's got a nice shot. He could be a good offensive defenseman. I ultimately think he's a middle pair. I don't look at him as a top pair guy. Um, and I think that the Flyers looked at it and said, "We really want to be tied into an eight-year contract worth fifty million dollars with a no-trade clause." on a player that we're not 100% sure could be a pair guy moving forward. And so I think that's the reason why they're probably more willing to move on from him at this point. We'll finish out on this. Sorry, Anthony, i got to ask this question. If you flipped yeah. roles and your team was the one, the team that you like, the team that you root for, was the one that was going to be acquiring potentially Kevin Hayes and Travis Sienheim for the package that we're talking about here, what would your reaction be as a fan of that team? Um, I, I guess I guess it would be kind of mess, and, and and I say that because look, you're giving up a first round, one of your first round picks, but you have two others, and so you are adding two NHL caliber players to a roster that you feel like you can repool and get back to being uh, a, a cup contender. So I do think that there's a benefit there, but I also think when you look at the the, the size of those contracts. And what they've, you know, what they bring to the table, I'm not sure that they're difference makers enough for me to sit there and say I'm willing to part with something as valuable as a first round pick. Plus, a player like Tory Krug, I know who did not have the greatest season in St. Louis, but is still um, a, a guy. You know, going from Krug to Sanheim, I'm not sure how much of an upgrade that is. So I think it's one of those trades where it's like it's okay, but it's not. It's not. Me. Let's put it that way. Anthony Sanfilippo has been doing great work covering this story from the Philly perspective. If you want to find his whole uh, his piece from this weekend on uh, what it was like to cover this story to chase down the news on Saturday as there was more and more coming out throughout the day, uh, you could check that out on his Twitter account at 
Ants and Philly. A-N-T-S-A-N Philly. That's where you can find him on Twitter. Anthony, appreciate the time, man. Thank you so much for hopping on with us today, and hopefully we'll talk with you again soon if this thing goes through. Yeah, sounds good, Alex. Anytime, my friend. You got it. That's Anthony Sanfilippo joining us here on 101 ESPN. Alex, that's not probably well, what Blues fans wanted to hear there no, at the end. Not at all, but I mean, I just looked this up when Anthony said it, and I'm not discrediting anything he said because he's seen a lot more than Sanheim than I have, mm-hmm. but you always do take into consideration the team that he's playing on and the type of player that he is, and I just looked it up on moneypuck.com just in terms of last season. He actually, in terms of three different pairings he was a part of, had the best expected goals against per 60 minutes. Okay. His best was with playing your guy, Justin Braun. Yeah, I like him. So, Isn't def- that a third pair, though? Uh, yeah, I mean, they use him in the middle <laughs> pair. But he, no, but he's a defensively-minded defenseman. I got gotcha. you. D'Angelo, who's an offensively-minded defenseman, and then Ristolainen, who's defensively. It goes Braun number one, Ristolainen number two, and, and then uh, D'Angelo number three. So essentially what I'm looking at is he's got to be a part of somebody who also is decent in their own zone. And I know I hear everybody, "Ah, that's nobody on this blues team, Alex. I think if you put him in a different situation where you're not playing, where you're the main focus, he's in the Pareko situation where he's viewed as the supposedly elite alpha number one defenseman. And that's not the type of player he is. But if you put two guys together on the same team that are supposed to be that, do you get a little bit better? The Blues are basically asking the question of what happens when you put together a bunch of number three starters in your rotation. Yeah. Oh, no. But, I know the answer to that question. <laughs> the, the Blues are going that we're probably never going to have, we're not going to have any number one defenseman on this team. But right now we've got like, you could make an argument, uh, number two with Colton Pareko, number three maybe with Justin <laughs> argue two with Falk because at times he sure. plays that way. Let's put it that way. You've got two number two defensemen and then there's a significant drop off from there. I'd love me What some... if we added one more of those What guys? if you have three number twos? Exactly. That's a and good day in my opinion. It's... <laughs> It's a day that ends in Y for you, buddy. Yeah, pretty much. That, that's, that's what they're trying to accomplish here. Will it work? I well, don't know. Well, you're playing the way right now and it hasn't worked, so why not try it with different names? The the risk of this, though, is not just this trade. The trade, whatever. It's a late first-round pick. He, he was talking about how that's a significant asset. No, Whatever. Blues have 20 of those. Get them out of here. Yeah. The risk is the contract. Well, the yeah. risk is you're putting yourself into an eight-year deal with a full no-traded clause again for a 27-year-old defenseman that you're not totally sure if he's a top-pairing guy or not. In fact... The likelihood is he's yeah, probably he's best as a second pairing defenseman. Is that a good thing? I guess it depends your perspective. It helps you. It makes you better. It's a lot to give out in terms of the eight-year contract to lock yourself in to that type. Of so player. his contract is one years one through four is full no trade, and then years five through eight is when it's the modified. Yeah, no it's so up to 31 no, years old is when bad, you trade him out. Yeah. Tory Crew is a little older, though, when he signed. He yeah. was 30, wasn't he, when he signed it? Yeah. So, he, 27, to, 27 to 31. But again, this matches the the age frame that Doug Armstrong was talking about. And again, as much as this is underwhelming to people, go to the market and find me another defenseman that's considered a top-pairing defenseman. I will give you that name. We'll do that on the other side. Plus, Frank Saravalli says the Blues want to be one of the most aggressive teams at the NHL draft this week. We'll let you hear his full comments on that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. So the Blues are in all of the buzz. Yeah, there was the story over the weekend that they're trading for Kevin Hayes, or at least they're <clears throat> trying to trade for Kevin Hayes. He's apparently not the only one that they're looking at, Alex. It sounds like that's probably more of a salary dump for Philly than anything else. The reason the Blues were including their first-round pick for that trade, potentially, was for Travis Sanheim. They want to remake their blue line. And Alex, one of the best insiders in the business is Frank Saravalli. He said last week, hey, I'm hearing some buzz on the Blues in Philly. At the time, we thought, oh, maybe they're trading for their one one of their forwards. Oh, maybe they're getting Scott Lawton. And then it's like, whoa, okay, they're getting their whole team, basically. Well, Saravalli came out with another podcast earlier today. He's keeping on the buzz here in St. Louis. I think when it's all said and done on Wednesday night, there's a real chance that after Doug Armstrong makes the number 10, it's not a chance. I think it's a likelihood that after he makes the number 10 overall pick, that he doesn't step to the podium again or make a selection in the NHL draft until the third round on Thursday. I don't even think it's a likelihood. I would say it's guaranteed that he does not step to the podium again until Thursday morning when they start the second rounds and finish off because He's not selecting 25 and 29. There's no reason to. Those players aren't impacting your club for the next five years. And there's a lot of teams that want to get into the first round this year. And guess what? Doug's got two of them. Now, I maybe can see a scenario that he flips the 25th and keeps the 29th. But even then, I would say Doug trades the 29th and gets a second round pick and then extra picks. But I think they're all going to be going in trades for NHL players This is why at the trade deadline, when he made those moves, I said, Doug is going to be the most interesting man at this year's draft because everybody's going to be calling them. You want to get into the first round? Well, boy, do I got somebody who you can talk to because he's got two picks right now that he does not give a bleep about. Yeah, Doug looks at at kind of those late-round picks as just like— Like DK looks at kids? Bleep then kids. No, I don't think so. I don't think that's it. I did not know where you were going with that. <laughs> I and I, I'll be totally honest, um, I was a little concerned. I, I was too. Uh, but no, I, I think he I think he looks at those late two-round picks as just kind of like a shot in the dark. And, and the only one that he knows is like, hey, we're the reason he's been so steadfast and we're keeping number 10 is the same reason like the Cardinals look at Jordan Walker and say we're keeping him. Because that can be a franchise-type altering player that mm-hmm. they can select at, at number 10 overall. I think he looks at those late two-round picks and goes... Yeah, we may end up getting someone solid. Like, we've drafted players in the past that are good in this area. But let's just be honest with ourselves. That was kind of a shot in the dark, and it was, hey, great, that guy ended up working out for us. So I think he's looking at those picks as their number one and number two trade assets. And I think he's looking to, I mean, he's definitely looking to move them because it's involved with the rumors in Philadelphia. I think there's probably something else going on behind the scenes that we haven't heard just yet that he's trying to attach that that first-round pick to. So let's listen to the other Frank Valley cut that I pulled from his podcast. So he was asked about, okay, what if this doesn't go down, or even if it does, what are the Blues trying to do here? What are they trying to accomplish? Here's Frank Saravalli. They want to try and do it a little bit differently. Krug is an undersized guy who's been hurt for a quarter of the season in all three years that he's played in St. Louis. They probably want a, a different, you know, if Sanheim was part of that deal, it tells you that they're looking to, to change the shape of it. Yeah. want to get a bit bigger on the back end. I think they want to remake and add to their forward group. They want guys that are 25 and under that they think can contribute to their team for a long time. Doug Armstrong wants to win. He has no interest in taking picks that are going to take five years to develop and make an impact on the Blues lineup. They want to win and they want to turn it around quickly. He might be my pick, given how aggressive he wants to be, for a guy that gets the most done this week. Alex, this has always been my question. The first thing we need to ask before we talk about who could be the targets or what could they do in the draft, what is their plan? 
What do they want to accomplish? That's got to be like, you've got to have a mission statement when you build a company, right? Like, who, who are we? What are we all about? What is our identity? I think it's part of the problem for the Cardinals this year. They don't really have one of those. But when you look at the Blues for this offseason, the mission statement is apparently how, get as good as possible as quick as possible. And if that is what they're trying to accomplish, man, throw everything we've been talking about to the side for a second. Who are the best players that are available? And how do they fit into our cap situation? That's what Doug Armstrong appears to be asking right now. Now, for me, I don't think that would include Kevin Hayes. I don't know that it would include. Honestly, I don't think it would include Travis Sanheim. For me, that would include Noah Hannafin from Calgary, who I would be on the phone with right now if this thing is falling apart, and talking to Craig Conroy, their new general manager, and said, hey, what do you guys have in the works right now? Last summer, we're talking with Calgary about the Kachuk situation. That obviously fell through. We want to be involved in these negotiations with Noah Hannafin. And will you allow us to talk to him first? Because we want to know if he's interested in signing here. Because Hannafin told Calgary, I don't want to sign with you guys. That's the only reason he's available right now. So if you're Doug Armstrong, you say, I want to go to the players, see if he would be interested in coming here. And if he is, we'd like to get something done with you guys. That would be my first call. Second call would be, to Tampa, where they have serious questions right now with what their cap situation is going to be, concerns with it. And two, they don't have a pick until 179 overall in this year's draft. <clears throat> They're the LA Rams of the NHL. Good Go for get them. The, hey, do you, do you guys want to pick 29? Because we got a pick for you, for Ross Colton. So say, no, I don't. So if they want that pick, well, let's go ahead and talk. Because I think Ross Colton is a better player and is younger and has more upside than a Kevin Hayes. So that would be my way of going about this. But regardless of what the end result is, I think we at least now know, all right, Army knows what he's trying to accomplish this offseason, and it's not let's retool this thing. No, it's let's go. Yeah, let's we can sit there and up. We can sit there and act like, oh, well, they're not really going to be competing for the next two to three years until these prospects get a chance. No, Doug's not playing that way. Doug sees the landscape of the Western Conference. He sees the fact that Nashville, Winnipeg, Calgary are all blowing it up. And says, we're, we're right there. We could be we could be Minnesota this year. We could be that team. Heck, we've beaten them every time we've played against them. We just got to reshape our roster. I don't mind the Kevin Hayes as long as you're not trading a late first-round pick. Because he's very fine. He's going to be, in terms of that or free agency, he's the best available player. You know me. Ross Colton's my ideal poster child player to acquire. But if I can't get him, fine. I'll, I'll deal with Kevin Hayes for a couple of years at $4 million. Sure. There are a lot worse things that I can be stuck with. The Sanheim thing, I think Sanheim could be better for you than what people give him credit for, especially in Philly. The eight years at six and a half kind of scares me. This is why I've always said Noah Hannafin. And Doug, we all know, likes to be a one-stop shop of, hey, let's just get it all done in one trade. Did it in the offseason or did it at the trade deadline with Toronto? I could obviously see him looking at Philly saying this is not going to work. Let's move over to Calgary because Calgary's got a couple of forwards, maybe Tyler Toffoli, maybe a Mikhail Backlund and Noah Hannafin. There you get your forward. There you get your defenseman. And now we're talking the exact same outcome that we just did with the Calgary Flames. But here's the catch. It's not just going to be a late first rounder and a defenseman you don't want on your team to get Calgary. That's going to have to be one of your prospects. Deal. Fine by me. But everybody just if you're needs trying, to... if this if what we're saying, this is why I think the the starting point is the important part of the conversation. If the goal is to get good quick, bleep them picks, bleep them prospects, bleep them kids. Yeah, that's what you need. You need guys that are, in the words of Doug Armstrong, mature. Yeah, you need guys that are ready to come in and play. 
Zachary Bolduc Manfred, as exciting of a player as he is, he's, he's an unknown. a little ways away. And he's an unknown. And even if you think he's going to be really good in the NHL, you know who is already very good in the NHL? Noah Hannafin. Your biggest problem right now is on the blue line. Noah Hannafin is under contract for one more year at less than $5 million right now. After that, you probably get him, what do you think, eight years, 6.5? Probably. Probably close to what Sanheim is. So, you have to throw in a no-trade clause. I, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> the, the tough part, he better not get a no-move, because if he does, pff, well, oh, no, we can't he, do that here. Well, no, he's the number one defenseman. If you, if you end up with Noah Hannafin, it completely overhauls the way that I'm looking at this defensive core. Mm-hmm. If you then also include uh, Tyler Toffoli or something like that, that could change the complexion of your top nine as well. Well, and the Tyler Toffoli and Noah Hannafin thing, because I know people are, a lot, are saying, well, I'll get Lindholm and Hannafin. You can't make that money work because you're not going to be able to re-sign Lindholm and Hannafin. That's going to be like $14 million. Yeah. But Toffoli is signed this year for $4 million, then he's a UFA. Hannafin, $4.5 million, and then he's a UFA. Probably not re-upping Toffoli after this year, but you're getting Hannafin. That's $8 million. Got to find a way to open up that cap space. But... You knew that trade, your roster's set for this upcoming season. And, and then after that, you're not worried about Toffoli because you've got Dean and Snuggerud coming up and this 10th overall pick that'll be there after that. Exactly. That's the biggest He's thing. He's the is accent piece. With Toffoli, this is about Competing getting good now. now. Yeah. And after that, you hopefully have somebody either internally or from the outside that can replace him in that spot in your lineup or... If something else happens and you say, yeah, Toffoli is a great fit here. We love this fit. Maybe he ends up becoming a long-term member of your team. But for right now, it's about the the 2023 season. You know what's wild about this? You have $7.5 million in cap space available. And you got restricted free agents that you have to re-sign. But if those are two-way contracts, you could realistically acquire Hannafin and Toffoli for this season and only have to ship out one contract that's less than a million dollars and make it work. And then you figure it out on the other end. The tough part about Toffoli is he's not a center. He's, no, you'd he be mostly committing. plays on the wing, and so you would have to, at that point, Bucinavich say Bucinavich is going to be playing on the, uh, at center for yeah. us. Or Zachary Dean in that so spot. It, there are some complications with such a deal, but even if it's not Toffoli that ends up being the forward, there's other guys that are available for Ross Colton, yep. for example. Uh, is one of those <laughs> guys. All you got to do is, is trade one first-round pick for Hannafin, one first-round pick for uh, Ross Colton, and, and bada-bing, bada-boom. Bada-boom, bada-boom. Bada-bing, bada-boom. Yeah, there you go. Bada boom, bada bing. Bubba. Ball with the ball. The bang, the bang. Biggie, biggie. A boogie set, the boogie set up job. I got $100 if you can name that person that sings that song right now. I've got no idea. I thought he was making something up on the fly. <laughs> I was. I was like, "Whoa, that's really that's good." Like, Nailed it too. What's the what's the movie called? Yesterday with uh, they, they go back through the entire oh, yeah, Beatles catalog because yeah, yeah. it's all been erased from everybody's memory. That's what I just did to you, but with Kid Rock coming up next, the Junk Joy on One Hundred and One ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on One Hundred and One ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESP. And I'm going to be totally honest with you, full disclosure. I've been so wrapped up in this blue stuff that I have become completely overwhelmed with podcasts. Alex, this is my drunk drawer story for today. I've been telling you guys about this. Over the weekend, 
I think I consumed roughly 75 different NHL podcasts. You need to get a a hobby or something. I'm all in on the NHL draft now. I have learned everything that I can possibly learn about, what's his name, Daborski. Dalibor Dvorsky, that's one of my Ferrario 5 members. Arizona, apparently really interested in that cat. At number five is Reinbacher, gentlemen. It's apparently intriguing to the Montreal Canadiens, but I really wanted to have a conversation with you guys about um, podcast listening. Okay. So when I go to sleep, I turn a podcast on. That's the way that I go to bed. I think I might be a psychopath. You need help, brother. You Do you need. guys listen to anything as you're going to bed? No. Do you well, have like white noise? We have a television. The... Like I, we have the TV on when we fall asleep. You do? Yeah. Like we have the TV on. So do you like? I would imagine it goes to the same channel every night, right? No, Are you watching the news? You got Food Network on. What do you got going on? We Bravo. Food Network. Oh, no, not Bravo. No, it's whatever movie or show we're watching. Like right now, it's the Blacklist. So okay. we watch it so until we fall asleep. Fall asleep. We got to figure out how many episodes yeah, played while you were sleeping. That sounds my, like a problem. My wife and I negotiate with each other. Be like, where did you fall asleep? Well, where did you fall asleep? All right, well, let's start in the middle. But yeah, I mean, we watch shows that, and fall asleep to it. That sounds psychopathic too. T-Bone, what do you? How do you fall asleep? Why? It's the only way I can watch shows. Typically, I don't have anything like listening to now if i'm like super stressed out then i will listen to like uh what'd you say white white noise i listen to like amazon sounds uh rainforest sounds stuff like that and i'm the psychopath well that's normal that's like you can play that on an alexa not hey let's watch a tv show you know one we're really locked in on and watch four episodes go by while we're sleeping so t-bone is actually the psycho here Knew it. That's what I wanted to bring up. Knew it. The reason why I bring this up, according to a new what national a survey that has been put together, not staying roughly two-thirds of Americans fall asleep with their TV on, and 35% of Americans consider their television to be their own sleep aid. Mm-hmm. That is, their TV is what, in their mind, even if they're wrong, puts them to sleep. It helps soothe them Here's a real- as they are getting ready for bed. Here's a real question. Do you put the sleep timer on your television? I do on my podcast because, again, I listen to podcasts as I'm going to bed. Oh, well, he's a he's a hard worker. That's why he's no, doing no, that. No, no, it's nothing to do with that. Most oh, now my, I know my why sleep timer is on two hours. So, like, when I know really, we, yeah, I go 15 to 30 minutes depending on the day. Well, I mean, we because we I'm typically tired. try and tell ourselves like, let's get through at least one episode before we start to drift, and then the next episode kicks in, and then that's when we all start to fade. So it's two hours, and then we fall asleep. I don't to know it. what mine's set up to before because I've fallen asleep while TV's on. I have no idea what the sleep you said that's a psychopathic tendency no but like no what i said no he's i'm assuming you're in your bedroom watching television no i'm in my lounge chair no but see this is what i'm saying what happens to me is like i'm on the couch i'm not even thinking i'm gonna go to bed and next thing i know is your bedroom i fall asleep this is not true at all (laughs) somebody but not true somebody on the text line said one specific guy from the weather channel was their sleep guy See, that's my thing. There are certain podcasts that I cannot listen to at night. Like, I would not want to listen to our show as something, like, if I was not me, obviously, if I was a random oh, listener. Oh, are you kidding acts, me? Right? He falls asleep with a poster of him next to his bed. Oh, what he does we'll is he falls asleep by just grabbing his cuts from our yeah, show. Yeah, he just listens to He doesn't to even hear our show. He listens show. to all the good takes he just that hears he has. everything that he said. Which is none. Yeah. Yes. Someone did. He's going to keep going? No. <laughs> Some he's got the picture of Bribs and BK, and he just sits there and lays on his side and stares at it. And Kara's like, "Why is that up? Shut it, Kara! This is how I fall asleep." I miss Jamie. I, I do. miss Jamie. I do miss Jamie, he's especially in times like these. He would never I do miss this. Jamie, Alex, you were on that show. Has Sarah McLaughlin singing? 
What I'm really saying here is I, I don't like T-Bone very much right now. Um, I, there are certain podcasts that you listen to that the voice voices are... Okay. Coming up next, Katie Wu. She's the Cardinals insider for The Athletic. She spent the last weekend over across the pond. We'll get her biggest takeaways from a weekend of watching baseball in London and... Did she learn anything new about the Cardinals over those two games? Talk to Katie about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's always great to catch up with our friend Cardinals insider for the athletic Katie, Wu, especially as she is making her way back to St. Louis from London. Katie, I hope you enjoyed your time across the pond. How are you doing today? Well, BK, let's keep our fingers crossed on the getting our way back to St. Louis portion uh, and a wild turn of events. I am in the customer service line currently in Toronto as my flight to St. Louis was just canceled. So if you hear some background noise, that would be why. Well, Toronto's a good time. I mean, going from London to, to Toronto, like you could have done worse. Right. No, I'm like a, a world traveler. You know, this is beat writing in a nutshell. Well, J- jolly good morning to you, Katie <laughs> Wu. How was London? <laughs> why were you Australian? Oh, you were sitting on that one all week. Was it Australian? <laughs> it sounded Australian. In all seriousness, Katie, we'll get to the baseball here in just a minute because it wasn't particularly entertaining. <laughs> yeah, we can avoid being that. Honest. How was London? What was your experience like over there? How did you enjoy your trip to London? You know, guys, I, I loved my trip to London. I loved the London series. Working on a column right now for The Athletic about it. I just thought... It was completely well done by Major League Baseball. Um, it, it can be so easy to be dejected about this Cardinal season, right? When you just take into consideration, I don't know, the whole thing. And it can be difficult to be excited about just another weekend series in June. But I thought the London series, to me, really broadcasted and showed the excitement of baseball and what it's like to share a sport and all the good things that accompany baseball with people that really wanted to learn more about it. Um, the feel at London stadium, which just completely done over beautifully. I know there'll be maybe some complaints about the turf being a little bouncy or the lights being hard to see, but the feel to me felt like the, a playoff atmosphere um, with all of the fun and the people that you get to see, the people that showed up, the, uh, the whole element of the series, just without the, um, the pressure of the playoff series, you know, Certainly the Cardinals are facing a lot of pressure to win, but my experience as someone who was not playing and just taking it in as a member of the media, I thought it was completely well done, and I hope Major League Baseball continues to do more of these events. I already know London Series is returning next year with the Mets and Phillies. Hopefully it can be a a year-to-year thing. All right, Katie, I'm going to ask the question that might upset you before you get to the front of customer service and figure your flight out, but what the hell is wrong with this Cardinals team? Oh, man. Oh, man, um, a loaded question because I don't really know where to start, you guys. Um, look, that comeback win was important on Sunday solely because if the Cardinals lost and got swept in that London series, I don't think morale could be any lower than it had been all season because you think of the excitement, the hype, the buildup for the series, for them to travel all that way to London and then go out there and get swept, I think would have just been absolutely demoralizing. So I thought that comeback win was key. I do not think that really changes the place of where the Cardinals, Cardinals are at. They have a lot of work to do, and they're just simply running out of time. This next home stand and a road trip that leads into the All-Star break, I mean, three of the four teams, Astros, Yankees, the Surge, and Miami Marlins, 
that's a tough test, and we've talked about it before. If the Cardinals limp into the All-Star break, I think it sets the tone for the next three weeks after that as the Cardinals look to go into the trade deadline and what they might do. It, I'm not ruling out the Cardinals, but I am saying, of course, that time is running really, really slim and you know, not much going on their side. Yeah, we're going to talk about this a little bit later on today, Katie, but the the Cardinals' low point this season was about a week ago where they were 16 games under 500. Now, I understand that the playoff format has changed over the years, and there are more spots now than there were previously, but the only team in baseball history that was 16 games below 500 at any point in the season that made the playoffs was the 1914 Braves. And so the reason why I bring that up is I wanted to ask you about how you view the Cardinals now in relation to the trade deadline. So how do you view them in relation to the trade deadline as of today, Katie? That's a good question. And something that we actually talked to President of Baseball Operations, Don Mazalak, in London, and he really broke it down saying there are four ways that you can approach the trade deadline, right? There's the buyers and the sellers route, which we're all pretty familiar with. There's the holding route, which the Cardinals have done, of course, and that 2021 would be the most obvious example. And then there's the route that they kind of did in 2018, where they sold, but they weren't necessarily rebuilding. And I think the Cardinals can do that. I think they can be sellers at the deadline without really going into a rebuild position. And that's what Mo also said. He said, I certainly hope the Cardinals aren't allowed to rebuild. I think there are plenty of pieces contending teams would want at the trade deadline. And I don't think the Cardinals, if they became sellers, would necessarily have to blow it all up and start from scratch. I think they could put themselves in a position to pivot in 2023 and focus on 2024 and really push again for a division that is getting better but still won't be a big top-weight heavy contender next season. Could you see them, Katie, being buyers and sellers at the deadline? And if so, what would that aggressive buying look like? I can, um, but I don't know if they're going to make any of those aggressive buying. If they do... I think that would maybe come in the offseason. Let's, let's be honest. Cardinals is starting pitching. It is something that we've said before and again. Uh, free agency is where they really should spend it at. The problem, of course, is that there isn't really a lot of uh, available starting pitchers on the market. Uh, they'll overpay tremendously at the trade deadline, and that's just not something that I can see this front office doing. So I can see them selling now, buying some stopgap pieces, uh, stopgap pieces, I should say, and then looking to re- reevaluate and see what they can add in free agency over the offseason. But, again, I think a lot of it will come down to how they play over the next couple of weeks leading into the All-Star break. What do you think the Cardinals have learned about their pitching philosophy this year? That it needs to be better or perhaps make a change. Uh, I think when the Cardinals were a pitch-to-contact staff, they still are, but when they were a pitch-to-contact staff at their best, that was when they were able to shift defensively. I'm not saying they can't do that yet, but, of course, that they are limited in that aspect with the shift being banned. But when you have a pitch-to-contact staff, you need to have elite defenders. They had that in 2021. They had that mostly in 2022. They don't have that in 2023. They're also restricted in where they can put those defenders. So pitch-to-contact staff combined with a defensive outfield that just certainly isn't up to par to the standards that they set in 2020, 2021, and 2022, and a rotation that more or less is underperformed as their job as a pitch-to-contact staff, you get a team that is 32 and 45 and, and looking to miss the playoffs again. Katie, final one from me. Adam Wainwright, of course, really upset after his performance Saturday against the Cubs. Is there anything that that can happen differently with Waino the rest of the way in terms of his role, or is this just a matter of let it play out the rest of the season? No, Adam Wainwright's going to start the rest of the season, you know, barring anything crazy. 
I think it's uh, it's been pretty disheartening, honestly. And you know, Adam Wainwright doesn't need me or anyone to stand up for him, but to just see the treatment of what has been a true cardinal great throughout his you know two decades in St. Louis. I understand when you are being paid that much money to perform and you're not performing, you should be held accountable to those standards. But it, it's not like Adam is out there enjoying what he's doing. I mean, that was after his start in London. That was the most disappointed I've ever seen him. So it's, it's a problem, clearly, for both sides. But I can't see the Cardinals pivoting and turning on someone that has routinely shown up and got, taken the ball for them for the last two decades at the time they need him most. Right now, what Adam needs from the Cardinals is that same kind of grace and patience. And look, if the Cardinals are out of it by the trade deadline, what what hurt does it do to have him keep pitching and finishing his career as a starter? Um, I know the chase to 200 is super important to, to both the Cardinals and Adam. I'm not saying that the Cardinals should pivot and uh, not focus on winning in route to finding that 200th win for Wainwright. But if the Cardinals find themselves out of it and looking at a second half to rebuild, why move him anywhere else? Katie, we appreciate the time as always. Cardinals back in action tomorrow night at home against the Houston Astros. We are hopeful that Katie Wu will be able to be in attendance so long as she gets through the customer service line in Toronto over the course of the next 24 hours. Good luck with that, Katie. Thank you for joining us today. We'll talk with you again next week. Thanks, guys. Talk soon. You got it. That's Katie Wu joining us here on 101 ESPN. There is nothing worse, nothing, than being stuck in an airport and having no idea when you're going to leave. Toronto's a great city. I don't know that I would want to be stuck in Toronto's airport with no real understanding of how long you're going to be there, especially when you're coming back from what was in an international trip and you had planned to be back to your home, you know, at some point later. On I've only experienced that, that once, and that was when I was coming back from Boston in 2019 after the cup and got laid over and I needed to get back in St. Louis that day to get on for pre and post game for the Cardinals. And that was miserable. And I was only Where there were for, you at? We were, so we were coming from Boston. I think we stopped off in New York. And okay. then the layover is like two hours. I, it's awful. And that's why it's I choose not to fly. Because stuck and you can drive. Like if, you, if your layover was in Chicago. Chicago. Yeah. You, can dr- you can make the drive the rest of yeah, the way. No. It's something very different when your layover is in Toronto or New York. Was, and you have no other option. That's why I hate flying just solely off of the fact of like I could get delayed somewhere and it is not in ideal for me. That's why you go Apache Village RV Center. Darn tootin'. That's the way to go Ding. about it. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service tax line. I'm sure we'll be talking more about the Cardinals coming up in in or out here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Come on, man. Are you in or are you out? It's in or out with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Train Heating and Cooling. Visit traininfo.com. It's hard to stop a train. Four three nine 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 six four six is the air comfort service text line for in or out. Alex, let's start with this in or out. The blues make a deal for a top four defenseman before the end of the draft on Wednesday. night. And if Doug's being this aggressive for Travis Sanheim, he'll he'll art, he'll alter his route elsewhere to find that top four defenseman. So I would say. Maybe not after, maybe not before Wednesday because the Hannafin thing can carry itself out a little bit longer. But if the Hannafin thing doesn't happen or if the uh, Sandheim thing doesn't happen, then the Hannafin thing pops up. So I'll say in they're going to get a top four defenseman. 
I'll say in two. I, I, I think the draft is a deadline, and I think the Blues are looking to get one. I mean, it's pretty obvious. Doug Armstrong's trying to acquire somebody to play with Colton Preco. So I, I'm going to say in the deadline, the not the deadline, excuse me, the draft is a deadline. So I, I think they're going to get it done. Okay. I'll play devil's advocate here. Here's why. Out because none of them will waive their no trades. <laughs> That's part of it. Let's say they don't waive their no trade for Philly. That's the first piece that has to fall into this. Part two, Calgary decides they're not interested in what you have to offer because what you have is future assets. Calgary says we want current assets. But I got players that are great. Maybe. Um, By the way, if Krug's turning down Philly, he's not going to Calgary. 100%. So here are the other defensemen that are currently on the athletics trade list. Eric Carlson. I'll take him. Will San Jose eat 50% and then another team eat 50%? Because that would be great. Because he's at $11 million right Uh, now. He spoke yesterday at the media availability for the award ceremony, and he said winning trophies are great, but I want to win a Stanley Cup. So he's moving. It's not going to be to St. Louis. Brett Pesci. I love him, but he's a right-handed defenseman. Matt Grizzlick. 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 Who did we just talk to? Oh, it was Craig Button who said, Matt Grizzlick's great. Matt Grizzlick's not what the Blues need. So out on that one. Uh, Kalen Addison. Uh, In the division. Yeah. And younger. Sean Dursey. He was just traded. That's your list. The other guys that are on this list are from the Blues. (laughs) <laughs> so there is no other top so four defenseman, like, at least as far as we know right now, that is potentially available. So it it really does potentially come down to, do you get Noah Hannafin? And if not, are you able to get Travis Sanheim? If the answer to those is no, you ain't getting a top well, four defenseman by the end of the draft. your guys is like making a trade. So <laughs> technically you've done that. So I'll say I'm out. Alex, what do you got for in or out? So in or out, the trade possibility for the Blues is a three-way trade route. So T-Bone and I were discussing this during a commercial break. We talked about Noah Hannafin, and we also talked about Kevin Hayes. What if you're able to complete this trade? Can we include uh, Russ Colton? No, you can't have him. Damn too. It. Sorry, he's not involved Three with team this. Three-team trade, not four. Let's calm down. Okay, Calgary sorry. sends Noah Hannafin to St. Louis. Philly sends Travis Sanheim to Calgary. And you send Nick Letty and two first round picks to the Calgary Flames or to the Philadelphia Flyers. So let me repeat myself because I just confused it. Noah Hannafin goes to St. Louis. Travis Sanheim goes from Philly to Calgary and then from St. Louis to Philly, two first round picks. I said Nick Letty, but let's say he won't waive his no trade. Marco Scandella. Cap works because you open up three mil. That's 10 mil. You're bringing in eight. Got two extra to use. So you get Hannafin and Hayes, essentially, yeah. for two firsts and Scandella. Yeah. Uh, and, f- and Calgary gets Sanheim, so they get their defenseman in return that's locked up. Philly gets the defenseman to fill the void and two first-round picks instead of one. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I'm in. What the hell? I think that the way that you make YOLO, this work, the way that you make this work is a, three, a three-way trade. It's it gets really way. complicated, and that's where things get difficult, but... If the Blues are going to make this work, it's going to require them probably to shed one of those first round picks, honestly, to take on salary. And that's we're being totally and that honest. trade scenario was just if you can't get Letty or Krug to approve a no trade, then you've got to get real creative with it and open up cap space and make it tight this year, but hopefully open it up next year. Yeah, I think that's why Krug, by the way, is a part of these conversations is because of the six million dollars that you're shedding from the books each of the next four seasons. Yeah, it, Doug Armstrong is thinking more about 2026 yeah. with the cap consideration than he is about 2023 
that makes sense. Yeah. I, to the Texas point, I, you do have Cassidy. So you got seven and a half right now. If you're opening up three, what's Kalel making? Uh, three point two, but keep in mind as well, you have to sign a backup goalie. They basically have it's going to be an extra million dollars. So that seven and a half is yeah. actually fake. But but it's a two way contract also. So like it's up there with the NHL. It's fake. But like in terms of salary cap purposes, you can make that work if you bring those two players in and send out Marcos. You have no move. Like you're yeah. you're done. That's it. That's, That's your you, move. You cannot make any other moves the rest of the offseason. I can yeah. plan his vacation, go to Cancun. But you got not your, have to worry about free agency. But you've reshaped your defense. You've brought in a forward. You've got players in the roster that are competing. Your roster doesn't need to be messed with. T-Bone, what do you got? In or out? My creative juices are flowing. In or out? The Cardinals, if they sell off pieces at the deadline, so let's say Flaherty, Montgomery, Jordan Hicks, anybody that's a UFA at the end of the year, they will bring one of them back in the offseason. Uh, trade them, sign them back. Out. They're gone, they're gone. Yep. I think the Cardinals know they need to overhaul this roster. Whether that's personalities, whether that's the way that they're playing, whatever it is, I think they know that it's time to go ahead and move on from this core. Well, I did not expect a full-on <laughs> just out. I thought there'd be like, no. you know, some thinking. Because Do you have a devil's advocate perspective? The guy that I would, I think they could consider, I wouldn't do it because I tend to agree with you guys. I think the guy they could consider is Hicks. I think they could look at selling Hicks at the deadline and try to bring him back on like a two, three year like, deal. Like uh, what's his face? Like Chapman. Chapman. Yeah. I wanted to say sorry. Because there's a team that we keep saying that they should be doing a, a lot like. It's the Yankees team. I can't remember the year, but it was a year that. 2016? I think that's right. Yeah, 2016. Where they sold off bullpen pieces. I, I think they're kind of the team that I would look at, and they had brought back Chapman that year. I, I don't think the Cardinals would do it, and I, I wouldn't do it. But I think it's I think it's more of a thought process than just out like right away. I, I think it's I worth don't. considering. Uh, the reason why I don't is because I don't think that they're going to sign themselves up for another multi-year deal at ten plus million dollars for the bullpen. And given the way that Hicks has pitched this year, I think that's what he's setting himself up for. And he's going to get a pretty sizable deal on the open market, despite all of the past history. Guys that throw 103 miles per hour with that kind of movement that have the history of closing out games, they get paid. And I think that's what we're going to see from him. I don't think that the Cardinals will be the team that ends up giving him that deal. All right, let's get to this from the 314. Guys, in or out, the Cardinals will end up selling at least three starters from their rotation at the deadline. Oh, out. I don't know who the three you're selling. Montgomery, Flaherty. You're not selling. Maybe they think Mats? There's no way. Does Mats count? Let's count Mats. You could count Mats, but nobody's taking that. I saw something from uh, New York the other day oh, that geez. Cohen did miss him. Remember? The, the Mets apparently are in dire need for some bullpen arms, especially length out of their bullpen. Mats and there was for some sure is says no. <laughs> maybe Us. that's how you make part of the money work. Us. In all seriousness, maybe that's how you make the money work. Why would they do that? They really liked Mats. Remember Cohen yeah. like threw a tantrum when he signed with St. Louis. Yeah, it's great. You're the owner. But the pitching obviously has not backed up enough for you to trade for that for your team. What if you traded Mats and like Dylan Carlson for Max Scherzer? I would rather have Carlson a part of a package to get something else. Really? Bieber, one of those Seattle guys. Yeah. Like I would do a, if you said Mats and O'Neal for Scherzer, absolutely. Let's do that right now. But they won't do that. If you're including Carlson, Newt Bar, Donovan, or Edmund for Scherzer, I'm out on that. I kind of side with Alex on that, but I I could see where Mats could be a part of the package um, because he doesn't need as much money. Now, granted, I think he's got one more year in terms of like looking at the contract over Scherzer, but the Mets, they could use someone that could throw strikes and all, all though Mats has been bad all most of the year. 
he's been really solid ever since he got moved to the bullpen. So I can see where they convinced the themselves. But okay. I, I don't think it's fair to say all, all Okay, year. as a starter, he's been bad all That's season. That's fair. In or out, the Padres will be trading Juan Soto by the deadline. I'll say I'm in on this. I, I think they'll move him if they're... If they're He's got one year left, if right? they're not yeah. in striking distance, you gave all of all of those assets up, and he hasn't lived up to it for them. I could see him flipping them to get more assets. I'm saying out because they, I think AJ Preller is a bad GM. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think they, about, I think they should. I, I think it makes a ton of sense to do it because what what's their issue? They're lacking depth. They're lacking all kinds of depth in terms of looking at the lineup, looking at pitching outside of their top two guys. I, I think they should consider, but will they do it? I don't think so, because I, I think they look at it as, hey, we're all in, and we're all in not just this year, all in next year as well, so I'm out. Uh, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. Guys, in or out, Matthew Liberator will be a bullpen arm when all is said and done. I'll say I'm – like, are you saying overall his season or, or his career or this season? Uh, his career. He ends up being a, career, a bullpen arm. I'll agree with that. This season, I'll say I would out because when they move Flaherty and Montgomery, Libertor is in your rotation. But beyond this year, yeah, I'd say he's in your bullpen for the rest of his career. Yeah, I would agree. I, I'm in because he, just looking at his numbers, and they definitely changed over the after the tough outing in London, but he was good first time through the order against uh, opponents in terms of numbers. Second time through, he just gets destroyed. So I, I would say I'm in on this long term. I think he'll start the rest of the year, to your point. Long term, I think his future's as a bullpen. Basically what Zach Thompson role was to begin the year. Yeah, I think we're all on the same page here. I, I'm totally in. I He just doesn't have the, the necessary stuff to be a, a legit starter. So you're looking at either a potential leverage arm out of your bullpen or a number five starter, probably, for a non-contender. And I think there's more value, honestly, in him being a bullpen arm for you if he's capable of having that velocity play up coming out of the pen. So I, I think that's the better scenario for him, honestly, at this point. It's disappointing, but um, you ended up trading Randy Rosarena for a bullpen arm. Coming up next, Nailed it. it seems pretty clear that the Cardinals have made their choice with Jordan Walker, and I don't think we're going to be seeing him in the outfield in the foreseeable future. We'll explain why next. You're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Bouncing ball through. There's the first St. Louis hit. And it comes from the 21-year-old rookie Jordan Walker extending his hitting streak to 14 games. Attacks him the wrong way as he singles up the middle. And that will tie the score as Gorman moves the third and RBI single for Walker. A 15-game hitting streak for Walker and a 4-4 game. That's what it sounded like over the weekend on both Fox and ESPN. Jordan Walker just keeps hitting, man. He looks awesome right now at the plate, and that's where he needs to look good. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Jordan Walker is going to be doing a whole lot of hitting and a whole lot less fielding for the foreseeable future, Alex. And I think that's probably the smart way to go about this. We were always wondering, and when it comes to Walker, are you going to prioritize the development 
Or do you prioritize the facts that you're trying to win? And right now, up until probably the next month, you're prioritizing the winning because you're still trying to get back into this thing if you can. Ali Marmel was asked about this over the weekend, and he said, quote, Walker's taken some really good at-bats. We like his bat to be in our lineup. We have good defenders. They've played a lot in the outfield together, and they've been good out there. We're going to have to continue to keep his bat in the lineup, and we'll figure out the best way to get him in the outfield from time to time because we do need to continue to develop him out there. This is a guy who's going to eventually play in the outfield, and I think he's going to play it well once he gets acclimated to it. He just hasn't been out there enough, and he's trying to develop that at the highest level. That is not the easiest thing to do. Alex, I like the way that they're going about this, and I think that it is a credit to Jordan Walker that he continues hitting as a DH. We talked to Corey Dickerson about this last year, how difficult that transition can be, especially for a young guy. They chose not to do this last year with Nolan Gorman because of how difficult that transition can be of just getting at bats and not being able to stay involved with the game while you're out there playing defensively. So I think they got it right in that perspective. And for the next month, while you're still trying to win, whether that's something that is misguided or not. I think this is the right way to go about it for the Cardinals. And what I appreciate about what they did is they told Jordan Walker what the plan is. Rather than leaving it into the unknown where some games you'll be DH, some days you'll be the outfield, maybe right, maybe left, it's uncertain. For a kid like that, give him one thing that you're doing and stick to it. Because for Jordan Walker, I just I don't know if it's best for his development to keep changing things up on him where you're now the DH, but we need your defense, but your defense isn't looking good. So focus on the offense. It's just now you're our DH. You be a middle of the order bat like you've been every single game at the DH position and we'll be fine. And guess what? When we're out of contention, when we trade off assets, then you'll be the outfielder for the rest of the season. But for now, until the trade deadline, I would put him in the DH and say, you are our DH. And even if that that slight chance opens up, barring some type of injury, because that changes, but days off, I don't really know if I would switch it very much with Jordan Walker. I think I would just keep it as the DH and just let him continue to have the same reps every single game. Oh, I, I think with days off, you throw him out there because I think the more opportunities the outfield, the better. But I do think right now you just kind of focus on the DH spot until you kind of fall into that. We're not really competing anymore, and you sell off pieces at the deadline. Then they can move him into the left field full-time. But it is impressive what he's doing in the DH spot, considering it's supposed to be this tough thing, and they don't like having rookies do it. And he's taking off and run with it. And again, it's only been a handful of games, but the small sample size is really impressive. And the other thing, too, about him focusing on offense only right now if you had, if you still have question marks of him hitting the ball on the ground a lot, well, now's the chance for him to really work on that while he's there and just focusing on offense. He's not worried about, okay, I got to get the ball off the ground. Okay, I got to make sure my routes are right in the outfield. No, just work on that, and then before games, you can put in the work with Willie McGee and the coaching staff to work on getting reads in the outfield with, to work on his defense. I also think there's been it, it's almost been undersold how good Jordan Walker has been offensively so far this year as a rookie. Guys, I tried to to tamp down the expectations for Walker in the off season, because I, I thought they got a little bit out of whack for some people and the expectations suddenly became, Oh, this guy's going to be what Albert Pujols was as a rookie. That was completely out of the, the reasonable expectations for this guy. Right. And I think we can see that now, but man, he's been pretty damn good. I mean, you look at what he's done so far offensively, He's batting 305. He's getting on base now 37% of the time. His slugging percentage is getting up near 500. He's striking out 22% of the time, which is a totally reasonable number. The walk rate is starting to, to creep back up again, which is a great sign. 
every underlying number suggests, man, this guy is going to be awesome offensively. You're starting to see the line drive rate come up a bit. The walk rate has now gone below 60%, which is still really high. But given how hard he hits it, you can go ahead and get away with that. I couldn't be more impressed with what we have seen offensively so far this year for Jordan Walker. And again, the defensive side of things, that'll come eventually. I I think he's going to be all right out there. He's got all of the tools to be a solid outfielder. It's just a matter of putting it together. But he's not going to be out there for a while until he gets the Cardinals decide, okay, we're punting on this season. And this is where I want to bring up the stat that I mentioned to Katie Wu, Alex. The Cardinals were 16 games below 500 about a week ago. In the history of Major League Baseball, this comes from the Elias Sports uh, side of things, their statistics side. The only team that has been that low below 500, 16 games below 500, to make the playoffs was the 1914 Braves. Oh, got to pick up my voice again, huh? Got to go back to the early 1900s. Yes, come on, come on. Check out the Braves and the miraculous comeback season where they were 16 games under 500. Boy, you don't get this at the movie theaters or the Sony Pop Shop, ladies and gentlemen. It is worth noting. involved in this movie, too. The <laughs> Boston Braves ended up making it to the World Series that year. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to hear about some of these players that were on the 1914 Boston Braves yeah. team? If there's not a guy named Little John, I'm not in. Lefty Tyler? Oh, okay. That's not a nickname. That's was he his a righty? Name. He was. <laughs> I wish. I hope so. Tell he me was he's a lefty. Otto Hess. Dick Cruncher. <laughs> that is no. You made no. Oh, I gotta look up some of Dick Cruncher's Paul numbers. Strand, who happened to be a reliever that was asked to strand base runners, oh. which is just tremendous. Man, um, do not Google Dick Cruncher unless you. Unless it's not Cruncher, it's Crutcher. No, no, no. I think it's Cruncher. No, uh, man. I just Google Dick Cruncher on here. You can't do that. <laughs> Rabbit Marinville. Rabbit was his real first name, man. They they don't make names the way that they man, used to. People <laughs> na- people named kids after what they saw back in the early 1900s. They're like, ah, honey, I just saw a rabbit out back. Let's name our, our young lad Rabbit. Red Smith, because of course. Um, yeah. So this is this is the 1914 Boston Braves. Hub Purdue. Mm-hmm. And went to the, I would imagine they probably went to an airport recently, Man. saw the hub. Dick Crutcher only know. played two seasons in Major League Baseball. Oh, was he good? 24 and 25 years old. Went 158 and two-thirds innings in his first year. A 3.46 ERA. Did he die after year two? You know, they died a lot younger back then. <laughs> I mean, he was 25 years old. You can't so. say that, man. Oh, sorry. I don't uh, think he did. a fair question. By the way, their number one starter was Dick Rudolph. Yeah. Uh, Dick Rudolph that season through 336 innings with a 2.3 ERA, their number two starter, Bill James, of course, not that Bill James, 330 innings with a 1.9 ERA. Just they don't, just make, don't them make them like them these two. Man, <laughs> this texture is absolutely correct, BK. You still have time to name your kid Rabbit. That's a good point. Yeah, you need to go true. home and tell tell Kara, like, hey. Will you we record her reaction, too, so I can see it on should video? should consider Luca, because we could go with, with Rabbit. Rabbit Kylie. I like it. It's got a little ring to it. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Hey, dumb bleep. It was 1914. They didn't have playoffs. The top team from each league just made it to the World Series. That's the playoffs, but whatever. <laughs> you dumb bleep. You also didn't do it in the voice. I hey, dumb no, bleep. No, we don't do that anymore. We don't do that anymore. 
Not on this show. I do. We leave that for other shows. <laughs> uh, do we, though? Making it to the playoffs or making it to the World Series, however you want to label it, the Boston Braves, the only team that has done it in the history of Major League Baseball when you have the kind of record that the Cardinals did a week well, ago. I'm sure the, the Boston Braves... To your point, I'm sure they like turned this around in what, like well, July, August. That was probably when they were 16 games below 500. It's April. Oh, so oh. they figured it out faster than the Cardinals did. <laughs> well, the Cardinals also don't have a Richard Crutcher on their team. Yeah. He died in 1947, by the way. So no, you're a jerk. Wow, good for him. He lived a long life. I guess I think the Cardinals are going to get back on. Not unless they get a guy named Rabbit on their team. <laughs> Coming up next Rally on the Rewind here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. If you guys have missed anything from today's show, be sure to check out the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app is where you go to find it. It is all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. From the 314, guys, I wanted to hear a little bit about how you felt about City over the weekend. Are you guys going to be getting to that? I want to make sure that we talk about them tomorrow. There was so much breaking news over the weekend with the Blues that I wanted to spend a vast majority of today's show on that. Uh, Tomorrow, we won't have anything Cardinals-wise to react to, other than Jose Fermin, who's been activated, by the way. Massive roster move today. Finally found... uh, for double-A or triple-A? Triple-A. We finally found him. He's been on the IL all season long, three months, while holding a 40-man spot, neither here nor there. Way to go, Cards. Alex, I want to finish, though, continuing to talk about the latest with the St. Louis Blues. There has been a report of a trade that could affect them. The Boston Bruins, according to Frank Saravalli, are working on a deal that will send Taylor Hall to the Chicago Blackhawks. Now, the Bruins, if you want to talk about a bad cap situation, boy, howdy, they are in trouble. Chicago, this is a smart move for them, in my opinion. They're going to try to get better quicker because they have Connor Bedard coming to Chicago. I like it for them. I think this is a pretty good piece to add, and I wouldn't be surprised if they continue trying to add around Bedard and Taylor Hall as well. I've already heard Tarasenko's name rumored to be with the Chicago Blackhawks. So smart. They'll probably, I mean, they're going to have to get to the cap floor more than anything. And I don't know how far off they are with the rosters. I mean, they do have $9 million on Seth Jones, but they'll be competitive. Taylor Hall is the, I mean, when we, when we heard that they were connecting the two teams, Taylor Hall made the most sense. That's $6 million off of Boston's cap really didn't have a spot down the stretch. They want Tyler Bertuzzi back and Chicago needs somebody to play with Connor Bedard. And why not get a former MVP of the league to play with them? So this is going to be at least interesting to watch Chicago over the next few days to see how they compile their team from now until Saturday when free agency opens, because look, they might be looking at the same central division as us saying, the state of the central is pretty weak. If we've got the best player, a generational player playing with a couple of good guys, we might be able to at least compete for a wild card spot. I'm sure there will be others that make this connection. So let's go ahead and do it first. What do you think about Tory Krug? Now we've talked about whether or not he's involved in any of these discussions. 
Boston is a place where he certainly has a lot of history. Alex, my initial gut reaction to this is, well, they're moving Taylor Hall because they have no cap space. Therefore, they needed to send money out. They're not just going to then take on even more money from Tory Krug uh, to be able to add him to the mix. So I, I'd be surprised, but I guess the one way that you could maybe get around it, and it's a small sliver of hope, is if Philly decided to eat 50% of his salary. So you send him through Philly to Boston, but that would require Philly to eat 50% of the salary for each of the next four years. Well, and it doesn't so, benefit seems Philly either because Philly needs to get a defenseman in return because that's the whole reason they wanted Tory Krug. They want somebody, if they get rid of Sanheim and don't keep Tory Krug, their top four defenseman is Tony D'Angelo, who's going to be traded and R- Rasmus Ristolainen. And then you got a bunch of other dudes who probably are projected to be third line, third pair defensemen. So the only reason Boston's brought up maybe is maybe they include Matt Gr- Grizzlick. Could be, could be Mike Riley also. I mean, Mike Riley's 29 years old and a left-handed defenseman. The only reason Krug and Boston are connected is because, if you missed it, Friedman on his 32 Thoughts podcast brought it up. But a fan tweeted, could Tory Krug return to Boston? And David Pasternak retweeted it. So now we're just connecting dots because of social media, which, look, but. <laughs> Rather than go do that for Tory Krug, Boston also could just go get Oliver Ekman Larson in free agency that they've loved over the last five, six, seven years. Just couldn't make the deal work. So, yeah, it's ideal in the terms of, oh, well, this makes sense for the Blues. Does Tory Krug want to go there? Probably. Does Boston even want him? That's the hard part. Right now, they've got 15 players on their roster that are under contract and 14 if you take Taylor Hall off, and it gives them about $10.9 million dollars. They're going to they have to sign Trent Frederick and they really want to re-sign Tyler Bertuzzi. Again, if you want to make it work, the way you do it is Matt Ger- Gerslick, Grizzlick, Gr- whatever, Matt. Er, Matt, Matt is sent to Philly. That's part of this deal. The Blues send Krug through Philly to Boston. So the money ends up being equal between what Tory Krug's making now and what they were previously making yeah. or paying to Grizzlick. That's think, the way that you could make it work. If they if they really wanted Krug, that's the way. They could I'll tell you, I, this this salary dump to me is more Boston's going to re-sign okay. Tyler Bertuzzi. But keep an eye on Boston in terms of Oliver Ekman Larson. If they don't get Ekman Larson, then maybe you come back to that. But this is the this is the problem. The timeline doesn't match up for St. Louis because they won't know about Ekman Larson until July first, and Sanheim's no trade kicks in on July first. And this is the problem with a lot of what the Blues are trying to do is they are pushed up against it. Yeah. The Blues deadline is Wednesday night, and by the way, Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson will be live in Nashville on on Wednesday night for the 2023 NHL Draft. They've got the tenth overall pick. There could be a lot of moving and shaking between the start and the finish of that first round as well for the Blues. Tune in at six o'clock as Alex and T Bone are broadcasting live at the NHL Draft. The Show is brought to you by Swiss Air Heating and Cooling. When you look at what the Blues are trying to accomplish, the deadline is the draft. And then after that, their deadline for this deal with Philly for Sanheim is this weekend. But they want to get the first round pick. So, again, that goes back to the draft. And the other problem, not just timeline in terms of literal dates, the problem in timeline in terms of when they're trying to compete for some of these other teams, you don't necessarily have the assets that Calgary wants in order to get the Noah Hannafin deal done? Do you have the necessary assets to get the Ross Colton deal done? There's just, it is as much about what these other teams are looking for as it is what the blues are looking for. And here's the thing with Hannafin, the Ross Colton thing, you get that done with a late first round pick and easy go. So that might just be their fallback. Sure. 
Hannafin is going to come down to, are you willing to give up something that you probably don't want to? Because they don't want anything to do with your first round late picks. Doesn't care about that. That's going to have to be, if they're retooling it, a Zachary Bolduke, minor league player, maybe a Snuggerud, which I would not do, uh, or the Zach Dean. Or it's going to have to be something of substance in terms of NHL rosters. So Hannafin thing might be the next option if this Philly thing dies. I would imagine from what San Filippo told us a little bit ago that this deal is not dead in any means. Maybe you start to hear this pickup steam later on today going into tomorrow as we lead closer and closer to that night one of the draft. Before we sign off today, what do you think we're talking about tomorrow? When it comes to the Blues. Oh, when when we blues. come on the air, what do you think we're talking about? I think we're talking about steam picking up on either the Philly trade or another trade. I, I truly believe that the trade talks, if they, if Doug is going to be as aggressive as everybody is saying, Frank Saravalli, Elliot Friedman, all of these insiders are saying, you're going to start to hear more trade report steam pick up between now and tomorrow morning. I think it's one of two things. I think it's either it is a different trade that we're hearing that's starting to come out, or it is that... Tory Kruger wave is no trade, and there's a third team involved that gets the deal done. I think we're hearing that. Kevin Hayes is a St. Louis Blue and that the other deals are dead. Yes. I, that, that's my guess. My I, guess is tomorrow we'll be talking about Kevin Hayes as the newest St. Louis Blue. See, I don't think the Kevin Hayes things happen happens right away until they figure out the defense. I think Kevin Hayes thing will just drag out. They probably already got that deal figured out, but they'll do that once they figure out the other side of it. Maybe. I think that the reason why I think it plays out is because you got to have the cap situation taken care of and once you have him in place you now know specifically what kind of room you have to work with we'll certainly be paying attention to that overnight you guys can uh, follow along as well from two to six with the fast lane we'll be back tomorrow at 11 a.m here on 101 espn he's got the picture of ribs and bk and he just sits there and lays on his side and stares at it i miss jamie i, I do. miss jamie i do miss jamie <laughs> Listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.